Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. And happy school holidays to the kids, the teens, the parents, the grandparents. You are listening to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, speaker, author, mom of three, super connector, truth seeker, well-being warrior, and Up Your Brave coach at for visibility, vitality, and extraordinary impact at upyourbrave.com. So here on the Up Your Brave show, if you're a new listener or if you've been with us a long time, as you probably know, it's all about inspiration, motivation, holistic health, parenting, and more. And speaking of health, I, along with over 950 other people in person, plus a thousand people online, went along to the NZDSOS conference last weekend. That was the New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out with Science conference. It was powerful. It was eye-opening for some. Uh, it was an, an amazing opportunity to connect with people. I got to meet up with a few friends that I'd only ever seen um, or only known from our small little Facebook chat. We've been friends supporting each other for the past eight months. We had amazing speakers, Guy Hatchard, Asim Malhotra, and, and many, many others. And of course, RCR uh, was there. Paul Brennan did an amazing job as the MC. I was there with my table and I met tons of people. What I loved so much and felt humbled and honored is I had so many people coming up to me. Natalie, thank you so much for your show. Oh my goodness. I love your guests. I love your interviews. You know, oh, my wife listens to you or whatever. Like I just had all these people. And I was telling my daughter just this morning, actually, I said to her, you know, I'm just so happy that all these people came up to me. It wasn't even about me. It was about the show. It was about Reality Check Radio and what we're doing, you know, bringing kind of the other side of the story to some topics that don't get talked about and appreciation for my guests. So thank you so much to all the incredible guests I've had over the past six months and all the other people I've interviewed in the 15 years leading up to this moment that I'm just honored to be in this position to talk to you weekly about many things. This week, we are going to be talking about uh, feel to heal. That's what I'm calling the, this week's theme because I've actually got um, two healers and we're going to also be talking about the amazing documentary, River of Freedom. So here's who I've got lined up for you today. And in this order, um, first I'm going to be talking to Donna Katai, and we're going to be talking about being a super sensory human and clearing our inner landscape. Next, I'll be chatting with Mark Lapwood, the acclaimed cinematographer, who's taking us behind the lens of the River of Freedom documentary. He was he was the cinematographer, but of course, many people who were at the Freedom Protest contributed to the visual content. We talk about that as well. And finally, I'm talking to Melly Rose, spiritual healer and body worker on new earth frequencies and the power of collective impact. And we do. We have so much power to have a collective impact. And I get to hear about that from a lot of the people that write into us as well. So as usual in my show, I love to read some of the messages that we receive from our amazing listeners. So here we go. Here's one. Thank you, Paula Barker, for writing in. She says, hi, loving all the content on RCR, and it just keeps getting better and bringing more and more truth. 
Please pass on to Natalie how much I look forward to her shows. Thank you, Paula. She is so relatable, informative, and I can hear the enthusiasm in her voice. I actually got the enthusiasm award like back in grade seven in Canada. Um, she literally, it's like a plaque thing, like a an award thing that I got. She is a great interviewer and she has an amazing, amazing guests on the show. I sure do. It's such an honor to have the amazing guests that I do have. And of course, I've got more incredible guests lined up in the coming weeks and months as well. Uh, here's another one from somebody writing in, no name. Um, I love what your guest is saying. I practice natural hygiene, which means I eat mainly raw fruit with occasional leafy greens, no cooked or processed foods to reduce the toxins in my body. I have also had a lot of emotional healing and I'm very aware of my spiritual body. This is the truth about health and everyone needs to know. Thanks, Peter. Oh, thank you, Peter, for writing in. By the way, you guys, last week, one of the topics we covered, well, we, we had Kim Knight talking about the power of your body to self-heal. That was an amazing, amazing interview. Definitely go listen to the replay. I had a few people at the conference come up to me specifically to tell me about Kim's interview and how much they loved it. I also talked to Joe Birch, and that's probably what this one is referring to. Joe Birch talked about um, low-tox living and how to uh, limit and uh, lessen the amounts of toxic load on your body and in your home. And that was such a great episode. She talked through 10 key points. There's a lot of content in there. So you can check that out, by the way, on the RCR app. We just launched our app this week, earlier this week, and you can get it free from the App Store. Just look up um, RCR or possibly Reality Check Radio. Get that. Um, and you just click on replays, click up your brave, and you can go and look for those episodes. Otherwise, of course, you can still look at look at all the replays on realitycheck.radio. Another comment here. This one's from David. Hi, Natalie. BPA was replaced with BPS, which is just as toxic. It's interesting, isn't it? It's almost like... <laughs> Sometimes they keep changing the, the game on us or changing the names of things. Um, but there's, we still need to be so hyper vigilant to be aware of how we can reduce the toxic load in and on our body. Uh, thank you for writing in. Another one here from Viv. She says about the NZDSOS conference, I will be there, she said. So Viv, I don't know if we met in person, but I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. She said, I suspect it will be both serious subject matter and heartwarming. Looking forward to more face-to-face -face truth and matching faces to voices. It was, it was really a big, you know, putting names to faces um, situation. It was so amazing. The other one I had so many people write in to me about and also commenting on our socials. So please do that. We have a reality check radio uh, telegram chat. We have a Instagram page, which is at RCR and we have a Facebook page. Make sure you go to reality check radio official. It says official in on the, on the logo. Um, and I had a lot of people comment on the post that RCR did about my reading of the poem. If you haven't heard me read the poem, it's actually had two over, over 2,400 uh, views. And as you may have heard, Winston Peters read the poem, and the poem is If by Rudyard Kipling. But I had, did have a lot of people writing in about that, so I'll read that. These are people commenting on, I think this was from either Facebook or Twitter, Thank you, Philippa Ross. Philippa is one of my previous guests, and she writes in real raw and very poignant. Uh, David Blair, thanks, Natalie. This has so much impact, especially in how you deliver it. Thank you, Amanda is awake. She says she made me cry. Um, and then we also had Daryl 
Habrakin who said, my uncle did it better. Well, yes, they, his uncle was Winston Peters. Uh, funny. So if you didn't hear me read that poem, I thought today, just to mix things up a little bit, instead of going straight to a song, I'm actually going to go straight to a poem. I'm going to play for you now the clip that I read. I think it was two weeks ago. I do get a bit emotional. Um, let me know if you can get through this poem without getting emotional too. It is just so relevant for these times that we are all navigating together. We are all facing different challenges. Um, but I think, you know, realizing that we're stronger together. So here it is. This is my version of If by Rudyard Kipling. And after that, I'm going to go straight to my first interview. And now for something a bit different. I'm not going to do a sneak peek this week. I'm going to do something a bit different. When I went to school in back in Canada, we had to memorize tons of poems. And I don't know if kids do that these days. I'm sure some of you memorize poems and you had to present them to your class. Maybe that's where I started my speaking career. I don't know. But I came across this poem recently. Uh, actually, yesterday I started reciting it to my daughter off memory in the kitchen. There were lots of gaps. I couldn't remember the whole thing. But I really thought, wow, this is actually very relevant for these times that we are living through at the moment and what we've been going through. And the importance of how we respond, especially now in September, where it's all about clearing out bad energy, bad, you know, negative things in our life, and but also not being too waiting, waiting, waiting for someone to save us or something to happen, to be more at peace and allow things to unfold. So here it is. This is If by Rudyard Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. Oh my gosh, this is emotional. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. I'm almost done. <laughs> if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Ooh, powerful. Keen to hear your thoughts. Keen to hear if you had to memorize that poem when you were young. It means a lot. I don't know why it resonates so much for me, especially after watching River of Freedom. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio with your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh. And next, I'm talking to Donna Katai. We are going to be diving into the super intriguing topic of the super sensory human. Welcome to the show, Donna. Thank you, Natalie. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to meet you. I know that uh, we, we Somebody requested you as a guest, and I'm so excited to dive into your wisdom today. For those of you that don't know Donna, Donna grew up in the east coast of the North Island in Wairoa, Hawke's Bay. She's of Ni 
Uh, she's of Nazi Poru and Manuel Jose. Is it Jose or Jose? Jose. Yep. Jose Descent, and is a mom and a nana. Oh, how exciting. Donna worked in healthcare for 35 years, mostly in hospital settings. She has two degrees, a bachelor in sport and master in science, the latter of which was achieved attending Adelphi University on Long Island of New York. On her return to New Zealand, Donna worked mostly in managing clinical research trials up to the end of 2021. Can't wait to hear about that. Since that time, Donna has been working to create her own business. She works with and in the energy fields to help clear blocks and barriers people have so they are more able to create what they want in their lives. Donna loves to learn and loves to pass on the knowledge in the hopes that that will help others. She believes that everything is interconnected and has deep love and respect for everything of the earth and everything in the stars. This is reflected in her business name, Earthfield Starfield. Ooh, I love that. And that's quite a journey. So I'd love to dive into that first up. Your journey from being in, I guess, traditional kind of the, the medical hospital realm and then moving more into this more holistic energy work. Give me a little, give us a little backstory on how that came to be. How did you get to where you are now? Thank you, Natalie, for that wonderful introduction. Yes, it is quite a journey to move from living a life that is basically constructed around um, going to work and just the physical everyday life that we live. And about nine years ago, I would say, I just felt a calling that I needed to be connecting into something that was more substantial from a internal perspective rather than just living my life out of what was happening externally uh, in my life. And usually when this journey begins, it begins through suffering. So we have these events that... Um, <clears throat> In the spiritual world, we call dark night of the dark nights of the soul, where we just get completely lost in what's going on within us because of what's going on outside of us, and then we slowly but surely we learn to change that dynamic so it becomes more important to work out what's going on inside of us rather than what's affecting us outside of us. And that's really how the journey transitioned for me <clears throat> through um, through having external events that caused quite a lot of internal suffering and then having nowhere to go except inwards to fix what to fix what um, the suffering was causing. It's interesting. I think some of our guests may have heard the phrase, that we use more in the personal development realm, you know, the breakdown before the breakthrough. And you were using the, the phrase, which some people would have heard, the dark night of the soul. Would those be the same same thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I imagine for our listeners, if you're open to reflecting and pondering on your own life, you know, you might bring something to mind where something happened and you realize now looking back that that was almost a turning point for you to head you towards maybe where you were meant to go or maybe the knowledge you were um, meant to collect along your way to bring you to where you are now. So what knowledge did you collect on that way that you're able to dive into now with the work you do, Donna? Um, I uh, what I 
learned was there's more to life than uh, what we see in the physical. So <clears throat> in the late 17th century and early 18th century, Isaac Newton and his colleagues created what we know today as Newtonian mechanics or Newtonian physics. This model is based on the that physical action can only be seen to be to happen through a physical cause, kind of like balls colliding on a pool table. And largely, this is how we have learned to define ourselves as just a physical body. Mm. But in fact, there are so many other aspects that we as humans are able to connect into that are beyond that, that physical action and reaction Newtonian way of being. And through my experience, I discovered that with practice and with mindful attention that I can can move beyond just being physical and being more sensory in my in the way I live my life. And how has that affected how you show up or how you can help others? I I show up for myself first and foremost. So I've learned that what goes on within me has a huge deal to what goes on around me. And by learning to understand more about how I work, what my internal landscape looks like, understand more about my thoughts and my feelings and what they create in the world, from that standpoint, I'm able to create a life outside of myself that is reflective of what I'm trying to create inside myself. <clears throat> and that's and people can sense that because of the super sensory uh, factors that we all have within each within each of each one every one of us. So I can start to talk about that too Natalie now if you like I would yeah and I was going to say to you with the with I love you know anyone who knows me knows knows that I love a metaphor I love an analogy I also love acronyms by the way but um so with the with the ball and the pool table so would you consider yeah so should we ask ourselves you know are we a ball or are we the cue or can we be both like how does that work absolutely um So if we believe that we are only a physical human body, that we can only experience the world through physical action and reaction, then what we see has a huge effect on how we see ourselves and how we see the world. If we see something or experience something outside that physical dynamic, that physical action and reaction, most of us will automatically dismiss that as or question it, first of all, did that happen? And if they can't make sense of it through the Newtonian mechanical structure of physical action and reaction, then we'll dismiss it or say it's just a coincidence Mm -hmm. or talk about it as 
something outside of <clears throat> what we know to be true. And actually, we're using a we're using the wrong instrument to measure what we're experience what we're experiencing. So we're using a Newtonian physical model to measure an experience which is outside the Newtonian way of of seeing things. So, for example, our field connection. In uh, the early nineteenth century, Maxwell and Faraday discovered the electromagnetic field. They discovered that particles from one field can interact and connect and produce a condition or disturbance that would produce a force that some that another field could experience. So field connections that I can tell you that probably most everybody who's listening has had is walking into a room and feeling the tension. Hmm. You cannot explain that through a Newtonian measure, but you can explain it through field connection. Meeting somebody for the first time and instantly taking a liking to them or instantly taking a disliking to them. Field connection. Feeling you're being stared at in close proximity or at a distance. That's field connection. And we don't understand that that is part of our makeup beyond our physical body. And some people feel that more than others. Yes, they can. Dependent on the amount of understanding they have of their own internal landscape. So somebody who understands that they are the um, want to work on themselves and understand that they can create what's outside of them by what they think and feel within within, within themselves, they will be doing work on themselves within their internal landscape to make sure that it's a you know a beautiful clear field with with sunflowers in it. And therefore, they're more able to sense things in their field because the internal environment is, is clearer. Somebody who doesn't do a lot of work within themselves and really lives through the Newtonian model of external action and reaction, their environment will not be so clear. And therefore, I got given this analogy of... Um, from an excerpt out of The Lion King, where <clears throat> Mufasa, the, the, the Lion King, was showing his son Simba the kingdom. And Simba noticed a shadowy part on the edge of the kingdom. And he asked his dad, Mufasa, what is that and can we go there? And Mufasa said, no, that is forbidden. You must never, ever go to that shadowy area. So that shadowy area is what ends up in our internal landscape when we don't do the internal work of working out what our thoughts and feelings are creating for ourselves outside in, in the external world. 
So it's actually bringing to mind, you know, a few people in my world, but, you know, so people that are more Newtonian type of thinkers, I don't know if it's just them, but, you know, one in particular comes to mind, you know, they're more like, well, show me the data, show me the proof. Well, how do you know that? And I'm like, I just know it just feels right. Or it just doesn't feel right. And they're like, but what are you basing that on? What is the evidence? So is is that the, the dichotomy there between someone that is more Newtonian and someone that is more, I guess, with, um, in, in touch with the field connection? Um, well, the, you can say, go and have a look at Faraday and Maxwell's research because okay. it's fact, it's fact. Yeah. It's factual. And I imagine these are things we can, because I said, are some people more attuned to it than others, more sensitive? Is this something we can, um, we can nurture or become better at to touch the field connection, enhancing our ability to, I don't know the right words. Do you know what I'm asking? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And the, and yes, you can. Okay, good. So, and the ability to strengthen. Strengthen. There's the word. Strengthen our sensory uh, field, our the senses that we can feel through our field connection. We can do that through clearing our landscape. Mm, okay. So, we all will have shadow areas within our landscape. They are created through um, the experiences that we've had during our lives that in some way, shape or form have had a an effect on us that hasn't been a good one, so to speak. Say, for example, <clears throat> I fall off my bike at seven years of old, seven years of age, and I and it's quite bad. And so I decide that I tell myself I'm never going to hop on a bike again. Mm-hmm. So I create that thought and that thought creates um, a feeling. And then if I, if I continue to think those thoughts over and over again, I will, will create a, an emotion. And then five years down the track, I have now got a what we call a memorized emotion, which is just the con- continuation of the same thought and feeling. And when you when you develop a memorized emotion, it becomes subconscious. So it actually just operates in the background and you're not consciously aware mm. that you have it. So now I'm and then this subconscious memorized emotion will now redirect me in my life away from bikes. Mm-hmm. And you can also call the memorized emotion the shadow area within your landscape. So I come along and say I meet somebody new 20 years later, 27, and they say to me, let's go for a bike ride. And immediately I'm like, (gasps) because this memorized emotion, which was in the subconscious, is now being brought into my conscious awareness. And I may or may not know that it's related to the bike accident I had at seven. But I have two choices here. I can choose to go with the (gasps) and say no, because of the memorized motion is telling me we don't do bikes. We don't like bikes. Or I can go, wow, where has this come from? 
why am I feeling this way about riding this bike? And then once I do that, uh, and if I decide to do that, then I can go into that shadow area within my landscape, mm. discover it was a bike accident I had at seven, make the choice that actually I'm not seven anymore. I can then probably get on and ride a bike at 27 and have and have a great time. And if I decide to do that, then I clear that shadow area within my landscape. I clear that memorized emotion and then I create a new pathway that says I love to ride bikes. Yeah. And I mean, for some people, they'll be going, oh, yeah, you know, shadow work, doing the work. Yep. Doing the healing. Yep. Limiting beliefs. But other people will be like, oh, you know, I hadn't really thought about it as something that needs to be, you know, I was seven, like surely. But but sometimes these things that happened, is that right? Between the ages of zero and seven and there's other age ranges that um, we really take them on board and they really affect us through our life, even if they feel like a small thing. I mean, it wasn't like a massive bike accident that was super traumatic. You just fell off your bike or someone said something and it really, you really took it to heart. And so, no, it's great that you bring this up. So how do people do, I know you can't answer this in, in, in the session, but give us some ideas. What can people do if they think, okay, well, maybe I do have some of these past things that have happened, even if I can't, don't consciously know of all of them. How can I do this shadow work or this inner work? Like, what does that involve? Because for some people, it'll sound quite intimidating. It is. Really is just taking one day at a time. I always tell, I always say to anybody that I'm talking to about this, you only have to do today. And all you have to do today is be mindful of your thoughts and be mindful of your feelings. Because a lot of our thoughts are not conscious. And here's a great example of, of our thoughts not being conscious. Or let us put it this way. A lot of the time we operate on autopilot. That's probably a better way mm. of describing it. So I thought I'd try this out. So I went to the supermarket. And we were all creatures of habit. And I parked my car in the same area, <clears throat> in the same place in the car park when I do this grocery shopping. So I thought, right, I'm going to try this out. <laughs> autopilot theory out I'm going to park my car somewhere else in the car park I'm going to go and do my groceries as I was walking out the door with my trolley I automatically started walking to the place where I usually park my car and I was like oh my gosh automatic pilot <laughs> and if we do this for the groceries just think how many times we do this throughout the day in our lives so one thing that you can do is change up your routine. Start creating things that you wouldn't normally do. So that will create, you know, that will change the pathway, your thought pathways within your within your brain. It will change the feelings. Feelings will change the experience. Experience will change the choices. And then you've got all this change going on that's all new and you're not on autopilot anymore any longer. So it's not just a matter of being present and listening to the inner dialogue and realizing the things you're telling yourself. It's more 
of not just going into autopilot. And I love it. So if anyone out there is listening and you want to do what we're going to call the grocery store test, you want to go to the grocery store next time and park somewhere different. I'm the same. I always park in the same area. Then I walk mm-hmm. through the op shop because I love a good op shop. Yeah. And then I pop out into the mall. Anyway, um, so you can text us and let us know how you go. You can text us on 2057 or you can send an email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Let us know if you do the grocery store test and try to park somewhere different and see if you go on to autopilot as well. <laughs> so interesting. So we're talking today about the super sensory human. Are we all super sensory humans or are some more sensory than others? I know we might've touched on that just before, but is that what's that about? What do you mean by the super sensory human? Yes, we are all capable of being a super sensory human and it's like anything else in life. You practice, you get you get better at it. Um, so we've talked about the Newtonian model and we've talked about the field connection through the electromagnetic field. And there's an, actually another part to being super sensory and that, and we're just going to circle back a bit to the atom, which was discovered in the um, early 1900s partly through Ernest Rutherford, who was, you know, a Kiwi. What they discovered was the atom and the structure of the atom. And within the structure of the atom, they found the nucleus, the protons, and the neutrons with circling electrons. They decided to experiment and find out what was inside the neutrons and the protons. And when they did this, they expected to find another level of mass, a smaller level of mass. But when they examined what was inside these protons and neutrons, what they found essentially was a no-thing. That's what they call in in quantum physics, (laughs) no-thing which we could describe as a black canvas, a blank canvas. And so they got the experimenters to look into these, this, to, to this field of blank field of blank canvas, I guess you call it. And they thought they would start with light. So one experimenter looked into this um onto this blank canvas, and he was looking for light in the form of particles or photons. And what he observed was particles and photons. He He could see that within this blank field. And then his his colleague comes along and he's looking for light in the form of waves. And what does he discover? waves and then another colleague she comes along and she's looking for an electron and she's looking for an electron say at six o'clock on the on the on the clock face and what does she find an electron at six o'clock electron at six o'clock so what they discovered was that whatever the observer's mindful attention was focused on is what was created into being, into physical being. 
And this also has come about through um, a physicist called John Bell who created the Bell's theorem because he proved mathematically and, and experimentally, which is the scientific measure for having proven something to be fact, is that particles can interact with each other in close proximity to each other or at a distance and at a distance and that this interaction can happen superluminally, which means faster than the speed of light, which means instantaneously. So we have this theory, which is proven to be fact, that particles can interact with each other instantaneously. We have this observer effect within the atom, which is the building blocks of life, where mindful attention can create energy into matter. And the scientific world has come to the conclusion that Bell's theorem is correct, that all of this exists. And they've kind of allowed it to exist because it doesn't affect the Newtonian world, because it happens in the quantum world. And the difference between the Newtonian world and the quantum world is size. So everything in the Newtonian model adheres to the laws of gravity, which is why physical mass obeys the law of gravity. In the quantum world, the mass has to be lit, has to be less than one thousandth of an inch. If you have something that's less than one thousandth of an inch, it obeys the laws of the quantum world and not the world of Newtonian. Guess what? I don't know. The quantum world exists within our physical bodies. Mm -hmm. So we have what we call nerve cells, which are neurons. Most people will know that. We have a signal that travels along our neuron, our nerve cell, and if it has enough impulse, it will jump from one nerve cell to the next nerve cell. That gap between nerve cells is called the synaptic gap, and it is, and it is one thousandth of an inch. In order for the impulse, in order for the signal to have enough impulse to jump the between the neuron cells, we require neurotransmitters to transmit the signal from one through the gap, through the synaptic gap from one neuron to the next neuron. And those neurotransmitters are less than one thousandth of an inch. So they do not obey the laws of Newtonian mechanics, they obey the laws of quantum physics. Now, when we have neurotransmitters jumping synaptic gaps and connecting neurons in the neocortex part of our brain, we develop 
thought. So our thoughts via the neurotransmitters and the synaptic gaps are connecting into the quantum world thousands and thousands and thousands of times per day. So now we begin to understand how, well, what Henry Ford quoted, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Mm. Because within our physiological structure and through our thought processes, we create in the quantum world energy into physical matter. And all of everything what I've said is proven scientifically. Mm -hmm. It's a fact. It's I'm not kind of saying it's my opinion or I think. These are Do facts. you think and that that is so for people to get that, especially if they get that early in life and they realize how their thoughts really can create their reality. Um it can be so powerful, but are you, do you think also particularly now where we are at humanity and Kiwi specifically, when we hear, oh, this could happen and that's happening and they're doing this and they're doing that, is it like uber important right now for us to really visualize or focus on our own thoughts and thoughts of not worry, but of creating or the vision of what we truly desire the our life to be like, not just like items that we want to have but but society and community is that is it so important now more than ever what are your thoughts on that extremely important extremely important now more than ever because when we talk about our field connection and our ability to connect into the quantum world we're talking about not only are we doing it for ourselves right we we decide that we are going to monitor our thoughts we are going to really put mindful attention into creating what we want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. That affects somebody else's field. Somebody will feel that condition in your field, Natalie, and as you're walking by, you will cre create a disturbance or a condition in, in, and produce that force into somebody else's field, and they'll go, oh, you know, gosh, mm -hmm. I can feel that. So you're not only doing it for yourself, which is another big point I wanted to get across during this conversation, mm -hmm. is that when you do your work for yourself, you automatically create change or the possibility of change for those around you because of our field connections. And that's science. It's not woo-woo. Yeah. And it's great too because... I mean, we've all probably been in a position where we've kind of judged or criticized somebody in our life. And people will often advise, you know, why don't you, instead of focusing on them and all the things they're doing wrong, you know, focus on yourself and how you want to show up and, and do your own healing and your own work. And you've just made that make sense from a scientific um, and physiological point of view. So that's cool. That's really, really cool. I mean, I've heard that before, but it's so nice to have it explained um, and I can't remember any of the numbers. I'm so bad with numbers, but I, I get what you're saying. It's so fascinating. Okay, so for everyone listening, I love, ask yourself, how are you affecting someone else's field? And, you know, being more conscious of your thoughts and creating a vision for the life, not just your own life, but the community, society, how you would love things to be. And that can have a difference. Oh, can make a difference. Mm. Absolutely, 100%. So powerful. Yeah. yeah, 
the other thing I would like to mention is that we predominantly are taught to live ourselves from the outside in, where what happens outside of us is more important than what than what's happening with, with, within us. And we've been taught this purposefully by the powers that be. What if so when we so for example, if somebody comes to me and says <clears throat> something that offends me, I immediately want that person to apologize to me to make me feel better. Mm. So that's the that's me being affected within my thoughts and feelings. So I'm now in the shadow area of my landscape. And and the, the solution I'm seeking for that, I'm seeking from the other person that's outside of me. Yeah. I'm seeking an apology from that person to fix my internal landscape. Yeah. That's That's how we're taught to interact with each other. What that does, what that teaches us, is that we have no control and no power over our experience. Mm -hmm. We are looking to the external world to agree with how we feel in order to fix and to, to fix that. So we're looking outside of ourselves to seek agreement of the disturbance that is within ourselves so that we can fix ourselves. Which is nuts. Just absolutely nuts. So we go, somebody says something to me and I get offended. I'm going to do it the other way around right now. Oh, gosh, okay. I feel like I've got a disturbance in my in my internal landscape and I'm in a shadow area somewhere, I, I, let's see what what this is about and what I can do to fix it. Yeah. And when I do that, I take all the power out of the internal, external world and I give it back to myself. So I don't need that person to do anything. I don't need that person to apologise to me. I don't need that person to, you know, say I'm not going to do that again because yeah. I've now taken my power back. I've now worked out why I felt that way due to what they said mm. and I've fixed it. And we're just taught to do it the other way around. We're just taught to give our power away to the to the external world or to the person or the place or thing that's that's disturbed us instead of instantaneously going, wow, something's happening within me. I need to work out what it is and I need to see how I can fix it. I, I do that too. I think that's fascinating. And for everyone listening, of course, we are going to have, we are going to be offended. We are going to get triggered. These are things that happen. So the next time it happens, I invite you to be like, oh, well, the old me would have demanded an apology. And I, you know, I'm intentionally using the phrase, you know, the old me, maybe you would have, the old me would have done this, but the new me is observing and going, oh, that's fascinating. Wow, that's interesting. I'm obviously clearly triggered at the moment. Hmm. And getting curious and observing. 
such a different energy state. Yes, it's an incredible change. Yeah. It will change your life because you're no longer looking for something outside of you to fix what's inside of you. You're fixing yourself. And when you understand that you that you have all the power, when you un- then nothing, then things outside of you seek to have such a powerful impact on you. Would another example be, okay, same scenario, someone offends someone and they like, oh, you need to apologize. Some people would do that. Some people are more like harmony and they would like, oh, I couldn't possibly, but they'll call up their best friend and they'll have a big rant about it. Now that's still negative energy, right? So that's still not, that's still hopefully the old version of what you would have do. The old version would have rung up my best friend. The new version of me leans into the curiosity, observes mm-hmm. interesting. I'm totally triggered at the moment. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because different people will do different things. Not everyone's going to ask for an apology. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you're on the phone and you're telling your best friend the whole scenario, what you're doing (laughs) is creating this thought, feeling, repetition, cycling. And if you continue to create that and say that and think that, then you're going to end up Mm. with a memorized emotion. Mm -hmm. You're going to end up either adding to an already shadowed area because you were triggered in the first place or creating another one. Yeah. you're. Just, it's like you're making a sandcastle and you're just adding more sand and it's all just a big pile of sand. <laughs> it's not helping. And it's dragging you down. And yeah. it's blocking. And it's blocking your ability to become super sensory, mm. to become more super sensory. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to ask you a little bit more about your, because going from, what was it, 35 years in the in the traditional, me, you know, allopathic traditional medicine to moving into this healing work and energy work and limiting beliefs. Um, if you're okay to say, how did your, not that it really matters, but how did your friends and family react to that shift? Were they like, oh, that totally makes sense for you, Donna. You've always been like that. Or were they like, what are you thinking? Um. They mostly, for the most part, were like, oh, my gosh, yes, yeah, totally can see you doing that. Mm. Um, And, yes, it was a natural progression from where I was to where I was going. And and I did get a little push, Natalie. A little incentive, disincentive? A little little push in November 21, 2021, where I had to choose just – to remain in a, in a sector um, that was required things that I was not requ- that I was not going to do. Yeah. So you can say anything that, on this show, by the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was, yeah, I was mandated out of my job mm-hmm. in clinical research, and um, and as hard as that was, it was a push from the universe to say, get on your path, Donna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And start doing, um, yeah, the work of living from the inside out. Yeah. And it's like, because I always say this phrase, you know, it's like we go through life and I put my armor up like this, collecting like lessons, right? Collecting lessons 
and putting them in our basket for what way. And then, then whatever we, we're faced with, we sometimes need to draw on, yes, the beautiful things that we've collected, but also the gross, horrible things that we've collected along the way experiences and, and, and drawn from them to go where we're going. And it's like, you've obviously over those 35 years, you've learned so much from that area of your life. And it's like, the universe is like, okay, Donna, you've learned what you needed. It's time to move on for what you're truly here for. <laughs> That's exactly right, Natalie. Exactly. You've nailed it. It's, it's so cool. I mean, it's great if we can look at the, the, the craziness and the insanity of the last three years and see the silver linings like that. Like sometimes it did push people onto a path that they maybe not wouldn't have jumped onto so soon or at all. So that's, that's a positive definitely for you, which is amazing. I've got a question. I don't know if you can answer it. And if you can't, I I would love to, I'll do some research and I'll answer it on my upcoming episode. Something I'm concerned about in my own house, you mentioned EMFs, electromagnetic frequencies earlier. You were talking about them in terms of like a positive sense, you know, the energy field around us. But a lot of times we talk about EMFs in a negative sense, you know, like I'll wear a Shungite necklace and I'll have, you know, these things around my house, crystals and whatever. But um, I am concerned because you know, we have a microwave, we have solar panels, and my daughter bought a full EV. Okay, my husband and I have a few, a lot of things that we don't agree on. So I didn't need one other thing to, ha to have a, fight, a battle about. Um, my point is, do you know about the negative impact of electromagnetic frequencies or, of, of any of those things? Um, and not to mention 5G and wireless. Can you, yeah, if so, can you elaborate on that? Sure. Um... This is going to go a little bit into a realm beyond this. Oh, that's fine. My yeah. audience is used to some of my <laughs> my topics by now. Go for it. So um, because we have these fields, we are also capable of putting into them what we want to put into them. So we have the ability to, within our own fields, create uh, what we can call a protection mechanism, where whereby we qualify the field with what we want in it and what we don't want in it. And then there are um, tools that we can use that are that ancient, actually, to be honest, um, before the times that we, before we moved from being, <clears throat> before the times we moved to being just a physical body, we understood that we were super sensory and that we could do a lot of things outside of action and reaction. And so if we understand enough about the tools that we have um, available, and one of them's the violet flame, which you can call on, which transmutes anything that's misqualified or discordant within your field into energy that is in alignment with your field. And so if you're mindful of that and if you practice that, then you can continue to create a field, your own field, and keep it clear and clean. And then anything that's EMF or anything that's negative from any other fields if they do enter into your field, they immediately get transmuted through this violet flame or through whatever other protection mechanisms that you create within yourself based on what you feel is right for you. 
and then it just doesn't become an issue. And the other thing is that when you understand that within your field and you're thinking that, mm-hmm. I've got a protection around my field mm-hmm. and anything that comes into it gets transmuted immediately, then you're also creating that in the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. What about doing that protection I, and I love your response and I'm all about it. Um, I know some people might be going, what? But that's okay. I'm just inviting you. If you are questioning, I inviting. I always invite my audience just to open your mind and just, just consider. Um, can we put protection on other people in the same way? Like our kids, for example. Yes, with their permission. Right. And you can teach your kids. Mm-hmm to do it for themselves what would they say meaning what would they say um out loud or what yeah what how would you do that i would say um you have a field and your field is able to sense things in other fields and sometimes without your knowledge things may come into your field that aren't sometimes very good for you so in order to make sure that we keep your field nice and clear and that um only good things um come into your field um we're going to use this flame we're going to we're going to imagine that we have a purple flame and that it is burning through this field that we have around ourselves and that anything that comes in that's not meant to come in the field turns it into stars okay magic sparkles or fairy dust yeah, I was going to say zaps it, but yours sounds nicer. <laughs> <laughs> but my kids are teenagers. They've got to make it cool. Oh, teenagers. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of what I would tell my grandchildren. So yeah, yeah. yeah. They're a bit younger. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's great. If we can raise children to think a little bit out, of, you know, a little bit more spiritual, holistic, a little bit not so 3D as they've been taught, it's great. It opens up their mind. I mean, I grew up with none of that stuff. I did have a grandmother, however, in New Zealand, but I grew up in Canada. Um, but I did have a grandmother who was, ve- you know, very open to the woo-woo stuff. And she would be, as far as I know, the only person in my family, relatives, cousins, etc., um, along those lines. And so, but so you know, maybe that's where I get it from. I don't know. But I think if we can raise these new generations to think about those things and just have them in their basket, you know, in their, their tool belt to draw on to navigate life and, and be able to keep creating, you know, like even as the lesson today, teaching kids to really create a positive vision and be aware of their thoughts and how they can create their reality. I mean, that's just going to empower them so much. Incredible. Yeah. And that's where we're headed. I mean, yeah, yeah that's where we're headed, which is amazing to think of. It is. And it's, it's time. And I think that it's, um, I think people are going to be more, op- I know I see that my peers are more open to it at the moment, but I think kids being more open to it. And also the kids are getting indoctrinated with all sorts of stuff. So we want to give them some positive tools to help them to be empowered. Absolutely. Yeah. And telling them they're super sensory and teaching them how to connect to that is yeah, a great way to start. Amazing. Hey, I'd love to ask you, what is one thing that you've done in the last year to truly up your brave? Great question. Gosh. Um, so having been without an income since 2021 has been very challenging. 
and more so within the last year because the savings have run out and um, lots of shadowy areas have been triggered in this area due to fear of scarcity, fear Mm -hmm. of lack, fear of um, feeling unsafe because you need money to support yourself. You need money to put a roof on your over your head and food on your table. And I always remember this, <clears throat> and this is, an, is a, an example of particle connection through Bell's theorem, is that probably, gosh, maybe seven years ago, I was listening to an interview by Eckhart Tolle, and he was saying that... <clears throat> He had no money. He was living with friends, staying with friends because he had no fixed abode. And then he won $1,000. And that that $1,000 managed to support, was enough to support himself until he was able to get uh, The Power of Now published. Mm. And that's always stuck with me. And I realized very, um, not very long ago, was that the reason why that stuck with me was because this was going to be something that I experienced. Wow. Because this is where I am at now, where Eckhart was back then. Unfortunately, I don't have a power of now book waiting in the wings, Mm -hmm. but um, I do understand now the peace that he feels and the faith that he feels because he is doing what he feels is right for himself Mm -hmm. from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And a year ago, I can tell you, I was not in this place of peace and faith. I was more like, yeah you know, crying down the phone to my best friend because I didn't know, you know, how to, how I was going to support myself in six mm-hmm. months. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because just looping back to where we began, talking about uh, the dark night of the soul or the breakdown before the breakthrough, sometimes when things get so bad that you're like, sure, it, surely it can't, this is the bottom of the pit. Mm-hmm. From that point, right, we can kind of, the butterfly, we can kind of, um, you know, from that point, sometimes amazing things can come out like him with the power of now. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day um, and I won't go into too much detail, but her line of work had really, because you know she was into like designing um, interior design, really fancy high end. And it's like, that's just not in demand at the moment, you know, for some people. So she had gone from, you know, amazing earning to not so much. Um, but, you know, but suddenly we were having this conversation and I said, well, what would you love to courageously create? And she was like, well, you know what, given my history with XYZ, which I won't elaborate on, I would love to help people with, with this, right. The thing that she'd struggled through, that would be amazing. So sometimes when we get to that point where the thing we've been doing that we're good at, that's brought us joy and dollars, it disappears for whatever reason or diminishes. Sometimes, you know, that door closes, another door opens. Sometimes it's like, if we're courageous enough to ask ourselves, what would I love to courageously create? Oh my goodness, I would love to pour my time and energy into that. It's like, well, let's do it. So I'm hoping for you, maybe this is a turning point. Well, it is. You started this business, which really is is an upcoming question I'm going to ask you a little bit more about. Um, 
what does that look like? And what would you, what would you love to be doing? I know you can do all these different services, but what is your favorite thing to help people with? Maybe you can answer that now. What would you love to do more of in terms of your business that brought you that flow of dollars while filling your heart? Exactly what I'm doing now, Natalie. So just serving people through my connections, through my field connections and their field connections, I feel like it's this is my purpose is to help people recognize how super sensory and how special and how magnificent they are. When people understand that they have the power to create their lives from the inside out, which I feel like is my purpose. Yeah. Um <clears throat> that's my work. That's what I'd love to do. I think your timing is divine because so many people now are really going, I don't want to do what I've always done. Or I can't, this is the other one. I can't go back. Like I was talking to someone the other day and she's a mom with a, you know, a seven-year-old. So he's at school and everyone, you know, it's all good. She's like, I just cannot go back to that corporate job. You know, that energy energetically, it's just, it's not a match anymore. And then they can maybe come to you to help them get rid of those is that the thing you help them to release the limiting beliefs or or go yeah. navigate through the dark night of the soul yes or well, to understand their own makeup mm. so i feel like um i i facilitate them to be the leaders in their own life mm-hmm. i point them in the right direction i do i can clear the, the some of the shadow areas in their landscape i can do that as well um, but it's 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 kind of the whole package. Yeah. If you know what I mean. I'm trying to holistically help people um become their own leaders mm. to take back their power and to create the life that they want to live authentically from their hearts. Yeah. And I think that people are more open and requiring that and desiring that more than ever before. So, well, I'll ask you now, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? I know you've got your website and some social media, and then I'm coming back. I haven't forgotten about the bucket list question. So how can people connect with you online? Um, Through my website, earthfieldstarfield.com. Yeah, all the information that I, um, of the services that I provide, of a little bit about me and my journey. Um, how I how I can help with connecting in through the fields from a spiritual level, and how I can connect those um, events from past in the past that are affecting you now in your present um, journey that will help um, shift things out of the road. Yeah, like they're like I'm ready to move forward. I don't want to yeah. be held back anymore. Yeah, and yeah. I and and. And there are a couple of different options in the way that I can do that. Um, another thing, which is a little bit left field, Natalie, is that I am also got a sideline business where I'm selling um, curcumin drops uh, in the nano in nano form. Okay, what's that? Which is one of the so curcumin is the ingredient in turmeric. Yeah, that is uh, has an amazing effect on on the body all sorts of different reasons and currently it's um one of the trifecta that dr peter mccullough is recommending for the dissolution of spike protein within the body 
Yeah, amazing. And inflammation, I can't, I'm trying to remember what else turmeric Inflammation, yeah. yeah. And now it helps with a plethora of different uh, things. So Amazing. Is that is that quite easy to find on your website? Yes, yep. It okay. has its own dedicated page. Good. And Earthfield, Starfield, also on Instagram? No. Not yet. Okay, so just the website yeah, for now. Just okay. the website for now. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So what is there anything specific coming up for you in the next six months in terms of business or life that you want to tell us about? Then I'm going to go to bucket list. <laughs> so I have, um, um, I'm doing an ascension course with a colleague of mine who lives in the Azores um, off the uh, landmass of Portugal. Oh. Um, so we uh have a strong connection to um, some of the sacred flames, I to the white flame and Melanie to the gold flame. And we have an ascension course coming up beginning in September. And we also have a freebie on the 16th of September at 7am where we're just going to, um, yeah, teach people a little bit about these two sacred flames and how you can use them. Okay, amazing. Well, all the information for that, you guys, I imagine, will be on earthfieldstarfield.com. One word, no hyphen? Hyphen, yes. Hyphen. Earthfield-starfield.com. Because we're here on audio only. It's it's good when we spell things. But also, everybody, I will put the link, I promise, uh, and a little bit of background information on Donna on the replay page. You can find that at realitycheck.radio. Just simply go to replays and you'll see the Up Your Brave show and click through from there. Uh, okay, what is one thing on your bucket list that you would love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime and maybe something we can help you with? So a little bit of backstory to answer this question, Natalie. Um, my dad in 1996 wanted to create a bullock team he wanted to raise the flag on the East Cape of the North Island, which was the first place to see the sun on the dawn at the dawn of the new millennium. The reason he wanted to do this is that he wanted to uh, gather lots of different types of bullocks, different colours, different cultures, um, different backgrounds, and he ended up with a team of 22. The reason he wanted to do this was to show the world that doesn't matter what we look like, or where we come from, what our culture is, what our background is, what country we belong to, that if we all pull together, as the Bullocks did, we can create peace in the world. So <clears throat> my bucket list item is that I would love to see peace in the world before my life ends. Mm. And what the audience can do to help me with that is take back their power. Yeah. Yeah. Start living their life consciously through their mindful awareness to their thoughts and live their life from the inside out. Beautiful. It's, I mean, that's a great bucket list thing. I think it will happen. I'm, I am optimistic, although I'm very aware of all the things that are going on. 
um, on a 3D level and a spiritual level at, mm-hmm. I, at the moment, I am very optimistic about how things will go. But I think you're right. We all have to, if, as much as we can, um, we can, well, I guess we have more power than we realized right yes. through our, from our thoughts. We can. Yeah. yeah. Yep, we create through our thoughts. Mm. We create conditions within our field that connect to other people's fields that then tell them that this is what they can do if they choose. And it just expands exponentially. Before we wrap it up, Donna, is there anything else you want to share with our audience today? Uh, just a quote, a couple of quotes from, this one is from Billy Cox. If you want to create change, you need to commit to your dreams more so than commit to your comfort zones. And you can do this by just being mindfully aware of your thoughts every day. And this will create change. And just just for people to think about it, I mean, it's your choice. You can choose what you want for your life. <clears throat> and and I'm just here today to tell you that physiologically, you can you are capable of more than you think you are. You're not just a ball on a pool table. Mm. Nice. Thank you so much, Donna. We've been talking to Donna Katai. Have I said it right? Katai. Katai today on The Super Sensory Human. Thanks so much, Donna, for joining us. You're very welcome, Natalie. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR Reality Check Radio. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Donna Katai as much as I did. I was having a look at her website, earthfieldstarfield.com, and it says there, this really resonated for me, the purpose and intention of my work is to help you strengthen the truth of who you are internally and within so you can have clarity to see, to choose, and to direct consciously how you move through the world externally. So interesting. And she raised a whole number of different concepts today. Let us know, send us a message of what resonated for you, maybe what you learned or what you're going to take empowered action on. She talked about the violet flame. She mentioned creating memorized emotions. She mentioned how, she asked the question, how are you affecting someone else's field? She talked about the concept of clearing our inner landscape to enhance field connection. And if you want to learn more, you can check her out, earthfieldstarfield.com. Also, if you liked this interview, you'll definitely also like the interview with Ina Neal that I did. And that's all about how to start the healing process. You can check that out on the replays page. Welcome back, everybody. You're here on the Up Your Brave show with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Reality Check Radio. And my next guest is Mark Lapwood, cinematographer of the movie, the documentary River of Freedom. We're actually going to call this interview Behind the Lens of the River of Freedom documentary. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, thanks for having me. 
I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. I, for you guys that are listening, you may have heard the interviews that we've done on RCR with the producer, Jared, and the director, Gaylene. And I thought it would be fun to bring the man behind the lens onto our show. Uh, for those of you that don't know Mark Lapwood, N-Z-C-S-A-C-S, I'll ask you later what that means. Mark Lapwood, an acclaimed cinematographer with over 25 years of professional experience, has made his mark in the world of documentaries, television, commercials, music videos, and feature films. He earned prestigious accreditation with the Australian Cinematographers Society in 2006 and in New Zealand Cinematographers Society in 2021. His work displays mastery in lighting design and camera operation when filming in the studio and on locations around the world. Mark's cinematography is characterized by a keen eye for natural beauty, capturing the essence of people, landscapes, architecture, and wildlife in a unique and appealing way. His work revolves around crafting compelling visual narratives, skillfully weaving together sequences that convey powerful storytelling. Industry giants such as Netflix, National Geographic, Discovery, BBC, UK Channel 4, SBS, and the NZ Film Commission have all entrusted Mark with their feature and series projects. He's based in Waiheke Island uh, and works worldwide. And I'll tell you where you can find him later, marklapwood.com. Wow, what an amazing array of credentials. And it was definitely evident, all of that expertise in the documentary, which we'll get to in a moment. But before we do, Mark, can you start off by giving us a little bit of backstory? How did you get to become the man behind the lens? Well. I always loved photography when I was a kid. I, I got given my first camera when I was seven years old and I took to it like a duck to water, you know. I, it was one of those little Instamatic 110 cameras with a funny little cartridge, had a circle on each end. It was film, of course, um, in the 70s. And um, I took so many pictures on that. My dad gave me his 35mm camera and says, oh, this will be better. Um, and, yeah, I ended up becoming a... Um, a press photographer on the Manawatu Evening Standard in Palmerston North at the ripe old age of 16. Um, that was after photographing a hotel fire one day. And I was very lucky to be introduced to the chief photographer the next day. And he took my pictures, came back at one o'clock in the afternoon, said, congratulations, front page. <laughs> and I didn't know myself. It was really amazing to, to find that there is a world here where we can make a living with photography. And then over the years that evolved into wanting to tell tell stories with sequences of images. Um, so I did that with stills and slide projectors. And then eventually I realized, ah, this is like the movies, you know, um, projecting slides on the big screen with music. It's like cinema. So how do you get into that? And I ended up um, training. I moved to Australia in my early 20s and ended up training as a camera assistant and then going to the film school in Sydney, the Australian Film, TV and Radio School and doing a two-year master's there in the late 1990s, after which I came out as a um, starving cinematographer on <laughs> what we used to call the, um, the government arts grant, which was the unemployment benefit in the year 2000. <laughs> but fortunately, I was only on that for a few months and I got a first break um, shooting my first ever feature film in India, of all places, a film called Maya. And, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a journey. You know, I'm a freelancer. Uh, there's no predictability in this business. It's a lot about the luck of the draw and who you meet and the opportunities that come your way. 
Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it. I love my work. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine when you're doing a project, if we call it that, it's like game on, like all hands on deck. And then you have these, like, is it ebbs and flows? Is that how it goes? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like we're just coming out of winter at the moment. Winter is a classic time where things do quieten down a bit in New Zealand in the film industry. Our days are shorter, there's less light, the weather's less favorable. Um, so productions, if they're coming from overseas, tend not to come in our winter time. Um, and less there's less local production in the winter. But then now it's spring, things are starting to gear up again. Summer's a peak time and you know goes on into autumn. And so it is seasonal in that way. And then there's also just this unpredictableness of the random series of events that causes you to get those phone calls or not. Mm. And for me, I find I just need to keep in touch with people and just keep putting some work out. I like to put up my own stuff as well and just, yeah, express myself creatively in a way that is is sharing. So somehow when you put energy out, energy comes back to you, you know. And when you did get the phone call to be involved, if that's how it rolled out, in River of Freedom, what made you say yes to being involved in this project? Okay, I'd love to tell you a little bit of the story of how yeah. this happened because it was how did it yeah, come it to be? Pretty Mark? cool. Well, <laughs> I'd been, you know, hiding away a bit. I'd been mandated off a project, um, and then I guess, like a lot of people, I was on a few different chat groups, and I got this text one day from this person, Gaylene, who I sort of vaguely knew of, and it literally just said, hey, I'm filming the convoy in the South Island. Would you like to film the North? And I have never had such a full body yes in all my life. It was like every cell in my body lit up. I was like, hell yes. Oh, my God. What an amazing opportunity. You know, I'm getting emotional <laughs> telling you about this because finally I felt like I could do something, you yeah. know, Um do something with my skills and abilities and you know i have all the equipment i needed so yes was the answer in capital letters and then i i was up at the shops like within a couple of hours later buying some food and i saw some friends across the road who i knew were on our team so to speak and i said i'm going to film the convoy <laughs> but i need a driver because you can't film and drive at the same time safety first <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And my friend said, okay, I'm on it. And literally within two hours, I get a text from this wonderful guy, Michael. He's Canadian. He sends me his text. He says, are you still going on the convoy? I'm Canadian and I'm FOMOing like crazy right now. I would love to come with you. And, and I was like, oh my God, that is fantastic. So he came and boy, you know, he, he was just the best partner on the journey, this guy, because he wasn't just a driver. He was, he was, well, for people that know human design, he's a manifester. Oh my goodness. And manifestors, they're only 8% of the population, but they're here to open up the energy. And boy, did he open the way to help support me on this journey of filming the convoy. And um, oh my goodness, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was great. Great collaboration. A few things coming up for me on that. So you mentioned human design. What I love for you, because I know that you are a manifesting generator. I think you're a three five, like I am. I'm a three five generator, and it's for for both of us. It's do about doing what lights you up. And you said every cell in your body lit up when that invitation came your way, and you, you know, listened to it. 
That's absolutely right. You know, my response is sacral, so I'm lucky. Like it's quick. It's mm-hmm. a quick response. It's either a uh-huh or an uh-uh. And in this case, it was a full uh-huh. <laughs> I'm on. And all I'm... this excitement, you know, this feeling of excitement and jubilation and happiness, like that is when it's really clear to me that something's correct for me. And I For our to... listeners, if you missed the episode, right. I did an interview with Mark's partner, Christine Spicer, and she is all about the human design. So I can put the link, I'll put the link uh, on the replay page for that one as well. The other thing I wanted to mention, Mark, you said about this Canadian guy. So for a couple of our listeners, if you're not exactly even sure what the River of Freedom is or about, Mark mentioned that this Canadian guy said, I've got major FOMO right now. I'm going to tell you my interpretation of that. FOMO is fear of missing out. And at the time of the Wellington convoy, which was leading down to that became the peaceful protest, which then became not so peaceful down in Wellington at the Beehive. But things actually kicked off in Canada where they had this massive convoy. It was wintertime and it was like Hong Kong and all the truckies. And I can't remember the distance and how many hundreds of kilometers of trucks there were going down, you know, towards Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada, where I'm originally from. I'm from Toronto. Anyway, so it was quite emotional for me watching the footage of things happening in Canada. And I was proud and I was kind of like, finally, the Canadians are doing something because they're so blinking compliant over there as we were also here. And so he would have been here, this Canadian guy in Waiheke, maybe, and having FOMO again, he can't be at the Canadian one, but he can jump on board the Kiwi one. And wow, it really did have momentum. So how was that for you driving down just the experience in itself, as well as the responsibility, you know, of capturing the essence? How was the, tell us about the convoy part. You know, it it was the most enlivening in a way empowering journey because we started we we went right up to Cape Ranga right and we got there the night before and we had a look around no one was there and we're like oh gosh I hope people turn up for this thing anyway we went and camped at a very nearby campground um, and we got back up to the Cape at six in the morning and there was quite a few cars and more and more cars showed up and and I thought this is cool there's about 30 cars and then I, I just love the surprise that happened because this fellow, this Maori fellow came around. He had this huge tyre. It's like six foot long. And he said, uh, any of you folks part of the convoy hikoi? And if you watch the film, you hear this voice that says, yes, absolutely. Well, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I always crack up when I hear that. And um, and he said, well, there's a tikanga to doing things, uh, protocol. Um like this and so he asked us all to gather around and then he said we need to go right down to the lighthouse and we need to do a prayer a blessing to ask our tipunas which is our our ancestors um and our atuas our gods for support um to help us on the journey and so we did that we we filmed that and of course this was fantastic because it was quite mystical like the whole of the cape was shrouded in mist Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm getting tingles telling you this. It was the most eerie thing. It was like, wow, there's there's some beautiful magic going on. And there were children walking down the path with their Heifaka Putanga flag, you know, the flag of um, that symbolizes um, early agreement, an early agreement with uh, between Maori and the Crown. And you know, amazing things. They did, did a karakia, and then we all slowly got on the road. And as we got to the first town, 
There were people standing on the side of the roads, Natalie. They had signs. They were supporting. They were waving. They were honking their horns. And I was filming them. And I burst into tears trying to hold the camera steady because I was like, oh, my God, we're not alone. You know, they're here. And as we went down the road, there were just more and more people, bigger and bigger crowds. And I think this was a paradigm-shifting moment for me Mm. and for so many of us because we realized we are not alone. We are not this tiny little fringe minority like uh, the government and the media had been telling us we were. So it was massively empowering and and really um, it fueled the the passion, I think, for so many of us that we've got to do this. This is important and we are we stand together in, in this. It was really, really wonderful. And then that scene pretty much repeated, right? The whole way down the island, like all the, not all the bridges, but so many bridges, so many people standing out in the rain and whatever, just to be, to support you guys, but also to, I think, be part of that collective energy. Yeah, it was phenomenal. There were literally people standing out in their raincoats on their own sometimes, or, you know, 20 feet apart on the side of the open road in what felt like the middle of nowhere, (laughs) you know, in the dark with their placards and waving at us and on the tops of bridges. And yeah, it was phenomenal. The the thing that really blew me away too, I was born and raised in Palmerston North and I never thought we'd see this, but we got to Palmerston North and the people were lining the sides of the roads. They were standing on the tops of their cars, on the tops of the trucks, and the line of vehicles just kept on coming down the road it was phenomenal. I felt like there was, it felt like there was 20,000 people there. You know, I filmed so much of it. I even got to the point where I felt like I filmed it all. Like I've got it. And the cars were still coming. Like it was unbelievable. And that was interestingly, that was only the um, part of the convoy that had come via the Hawke's Bay. So there was another hole on the East coast. There was another whole aspect to the convoy that had come down the West coast. Mm-hmm. Like, through New Plymouth, and they had been told there's too many of us in Palmas North, so they diverted them to Linton, which is a small town sort of south east of Palmy, to stay the night there instead. Um, it was just mind blowing. You know, there were for anyone who thinks this was a fringe minority. When you see the film, you'll see how many, just how many people there were. It was really cool. And I guess one of my hopes for the film is that people that maybe at that time might might have watched the news and it might have, you know, they really love to downplay, right? <laughs> How many people, I mean, they didn't, I think they didn't even film, you, you know, they didn't show barely any of it, right? The convoy, let alone the, the protest. But I think my hope is that some people that just didn't realize how many people were taking a stand um, go to see the river of freedom. Because when you see it, you feel it, right? You feel that energy, all the people standing on those bridges, standing on the sidelines, and then the side stories. That's the other thing I really loved. So it had a beautiful fusion of capturing the essence of the experience, and then it would do these nice cutaways, or whatever it's called, where you would kind of have these little mini interviews, or or people would share a little bit of their own personal experience. Um, and it was a long documentary. It was like three hours, but I know that Gaylene spent... <laughs> a whole year editing yeah. all of the footage. So can you just give us a little update at this point? How is the film doing? I know it made the top 10. What are the prospects internationally? How is that looking? Well, and then we're going to talk about what happened when you got to Wellington. Yeah, of course. 
Uh, I mean, you know, the fact that it got into the top 10 in New Zealand's box office is quite mind-blowing because it, this, that was those statistics, those figures come out of the New Zealand cinema box office every Thursday evening on flicks.co.nz. And at that stage, last Thursday night when those figures came out, we still only had 16 active cinemas showing the film. Only 16. And that is none of the big uh, chains, like none of the big Hoyts or events or those kind of places at that point. We now, so that's pretty phenomenal, right? Yeah. And we were dancing around the living room. <laughs> it was very <laughs> exciting. Uh, and then right now we're up to 34 cinemas have taken on the film. So some of them won't have yet started screening because the cinemas do like a Thursday to Thursday uh, schedule normally it seems so um but there are a lot more that have started screening the film since uh those figures were released so tomorrow night we'll be definitely having a, a keen look at where we arrive on the box office statistics for the film and the new zealand release so currently of course i mean it's not obvious maybe to most but it's very clear to us in that top 10 there is no other New Zealand film screening right now. So effectively, we are the number one New Zealand film mm -hmm. screening at cinemas around the country right now, which is exciting. I mean, we're getting inquiries from all over the country. I'm one of the admins on our Facebook page. And every day it's like, "Can are you bringing it to Gore? Can we see it in Invercargill? Will it come to Kerry Kerry? You know, can we watch it in Gisborne? It's wonderful. People everywhere around the country mm -hmm. are you know, really passionate. They want to see this story. They want to see it in their hometown. And our distribution team headed up by Heidi uh, is, you know, she's doing an amazing job. And our producer, Jared Conan, he's also doing an incredible job. And the whole team is working together to just, you know, keep in touch with people and keep in touch with the cinemas. We've had some amazing stories too that I, I just want to share this. This is so mind-blowing. The, the cinema in Methven, and the cinema in Mochueca. These are both small businesses in small towns. They both have told us they were on their knees. Mm. They were literally about to close down their cinemas. And in the last two weeks since they started screening River of Freedom, they have had sellout after sellout after sellout. And, you know, it gives me tingles sharing this because it's like, wow, the cinema owner in Methven got up in front of the audience on Saturday night. Galen was there uh, to do a Q&A afterwards and he said I just want to thank you all for coming to watch this film and he told the story of how they actually it saved their business mm -hmm. so it's really that's really heartening you know to know that this little grassroots independent film made by this collective of us filmmakers who came together and met at parliament is finding its massive audience and it's helping save these businesses and rebuild their their financial well-being at a time when they've been struggling you know because of all the restrictions over the past several years so it's really exciting it's you know because the potential for impact of this documentary is massive we, we probably don't even realize because not only was it like oh it's a kiwi documentary and it's doing well oh that's a nice you know and it helped those businesses well that's nice which it is, it is nice, but you look at the message of what it's sharing and the truth, you know, meaning it's showing people, visually showing them, this is actually what happened, what you were shown on the news and the way that it was spun, 
is is not was not an accurate representation. This is these are my words. This is my my view on everything. And what it's doing is it's opening some people's eyes, and people will hopefully be bringing some family members and friends. That's why it's so important to get it in more theaters so that people who live far and wide across New Zealand can see it. What and the potential for impact internationally is huge. What are the chances that it's going to go to some film festival overseas? There's a lot of chances for that. We've already been invited to a, a festival in Bermuda, and which is really cool, in the Bermuda Triangle, I guess. I don't know, but it sounds very exciting. And a festival in Tahiti called FIFO. Um, and, yeah, we, we've been in touch with a few festivals and in, in entering it into a few festivals around the world, so I'm not fully across that. Um, I can tell you, though, that we've had a lot of inquiries also from our neighbours in Australia. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can bet your your bottom dollar that anyone in the freedom movement around the world is going to be very inspired by seeing this film. Um, you know, little old New Zealand, we 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 kind of, we, people can relate to it, you know. We're like a Western country and people got together and we camped on the lawn of Parliament mm-hmm. when they played their crazy music and COVID-19 messaging at us for 24 hours. We just got up on the bollards and danced, mm-hmm. you know. When the cyclone came through, people weathered the storm. When when the sprinklers were turned on, people dug trenches in the lawn. You know, it's priceless. It's it's such a beautiful story of of just adapting and resilience and that wonderful collaboration and harmony that, that of everyone coming together from all walks of life, right? Like from, I, I literally met people from all sorts of socioeconomic backgrounds, people who live on the streets to people who are very well off, mm-hmm. um, people from all sorts of ethnic backgrounds, heaps of Māori. The, the survey that was conducted, there was a curious survey done of the people at the protest at one point, and 30% of the people there were Māori. Uh, 46% were uh, Labour Greens voters and 55% were women. So, you know, it, it was, it's really cool. Like there's a huge diversity of people there. And so it has a mass appeal and we're really excited to see where the film can go overseas. Right now we're just focusing on New Zealand. Mm. Um, and once the cinema release kind of peters out, because we're a small team, you know, we're doing this all ourselves, um, then, you know, we'll send it further and, and wider. Yeah. And I know that we can help too. So I'm going to ask you later on about how we can help to spread the word about that. You mentioned little old New Zealand, but remember, you know, we made quite an impact during the COVID thing, Um, you know, and people around the world know about New Zealand. So I think they're curious to see what happened to us and they'll be, hopefully uh, it'll open their eyes to see the other side of the story that gets told through this movie. So the convoy went from the top of the top of the north and the bottom of the south and they met in wellington some people couldn't get over because i think they stopped the ferries so everyone camped out and picked in and but um, for those that did make it what was it like walking around i mean i've seen the film i had hundreds of my own personal friends go i didn't personally go for personal reasons but what was it like just being there oh it was it was like this woman leo says in the film it was like a a sort of form of utopia in a way like if you've i've never even heard of the term a gift economy but there was a gift Mm -hmm. economy happening which means that there was 
every day huge amounts of money, food, and supplies donated. So uh, food was being donated to the Hare Krishnas, to the various other groups that were running food outlets. Um, we never had to, no one there, if they chose to eat at the protest, never had to pay a thing, pay for a thing, because it was all just provided. People all around the country, I think, who couldn't make it, couldn't yeah. be there in person, wanted to support in some way, shape or form. And they did. You know, it was it was really amazing in that way. And just the sense of collaboration. You know, we'd been we'd been <laughs> vilified, right? And so isolated for so long. Mm -hmm. So there's a really empowering and beautiful thing when we can all come together uh, and have certain common values, even though we all come from every different political background and so on and so forth, people could sit down and talk and about things and relate to each other so easily. So it, it was cool. It was exciting, you know. Um, and and one of the fun things was too, here we were, we were walking around. My sound recordist, Ben Vanderpoel, and myself, Ben went down because he has this big boom mic, you know, being big professional sound equipment and the big boom mic, which is kind of the big gray looking windsock mm -hmm. thing around his microphone on the big long pole. And he said he wanted to wave his boom around so that all those media cameras that were sitting on the balconies uh, could see, ah, there's some people actually recording the stories down there on the mm -hmm. ground. And I had my big production camera on the shoulder and, and, um, and people would ask us, Oh, who are you guys from? And I'd say we're we're from us. We are part of, you know, you guys, the movement. We're here to show the truth of what's really happening on the ground. And that I felt really passionate about because it was really obvious every day when we would look at the, you know, more well-known <laughs> media organizations and what they were showing and what they were saying about the protest was really spin is a polite way of putting it right it was a really spun doctored version of events it wasn't reflective of the truth really of what was going on um and on that note mark i mean part of my hope is that when people go and see the movie and they see they go oh well why didn't we why didn't we hear about this or oh i thought it was the protesters that were making all the fuss you know and people see that and they have a little bit of a moment an aha moment my hope is that they will then go a little bit oh, well, if they kind of misrepresented, or I'm going to use the word lied, about that, huh, I wonder how much can we trust them? Or I wonder if there's anything else that they were not being entirely transparent about. And, you know, and then and then come what may from there. Um, who else was doing the filming? Because, I mean, obviously you were filming, but I know it was an amazing compilation of pe pe people's, whatever they captured along the way. And then you had all these interviews interspersed. How did you get the other footage, or how did that work? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because it really was a collaborative, collective effort. Um, so some key people that were filming were my dear friend Dane Scott and Jordan Ranson and Briar Rose, who met down at Parliament, and they were standing in the rain one day, <laughs> each with their cameras, trying to keep their cameras dry, having a conversation, and, and realised, hey, we, we should form a collective. You know why don't we why don't we form a collective and we can work together and they on the spur of the moment with a bit of thought and and um 
inside decided to coin that the Manaki Media Collective or Manaki Media, and Manaki in uh, Maori means well. When when you go to a marae, people talk about the wonderful Manaki of the of the local people there, and it's kind of like the beautiful hospitality. There's a fellow in the film who also defines it as mana to lift up the mana, the mana aki to raise up the mana. Um, the yeah, so so these guys, Manaki Media, did a wonderful job, Dane and Jordan and Briar, and I love all these guys dearly. And if you see, you'll see they appear in the film. Dane, uh, Jordan puts himself in front of the camera from the moment uh, that he decided he was going to go to Parliament. He was in Queenstown, and you see this guy, and he films himself, you know, and he says, I feel really called cool to go to Parliament, see what's really happening on the ground. And he becomes a character in the film. Uh, and so does so does Briar, and um, in many ways, she's the the great, Maori woman who's, you know, calling out, give them an umbrella when you see these police yeah. standing there in the rain. And um, yeah, so many moments where she's there. And she's, we also interviewed each and every one of those guys for the film. The other amazing, powerful um, Maori woman was the ex-politician who featured a few times like and doing some commentary. And I just thought that was so powerful as well. Yeah, Madama Fox. Yeah, mm -hmm. she was brilliant. She was brilliant. I love the moment when she says, you know, as a politician, your job is to represent the people. I mean, hear, hear, right? <laughs> She's really fantastic. She speaks so well to the film. I also just want to give a shout out to all the other people that filmed. I don't remember everyone's names, but there was um, uh, people like John Setter and Aaron Cash and Julian Arahanga. Um Julian's also a producer on the film. Uh, Julian from Awa Films in Wellington, wonderful soul brother. Um, Gaylene Barnes, the director, she also shot a lot of the material herself. She was the one who was filming the convoy from Bluff to mm. Picton and then across on the on a boat. She came over on a, a fisherman, um, put a pirate flag up on his boat. She couldn't get on the ferry. She went with the fisherman on this quote unquote pirate ship. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, fantastic. So Gaylene filmed a bit. And then various people shot stuff on their phones. And, you know, we didn't want to use too much phone footage, but sometimes there were things that happened where we just didn't know about it or couldn't be there in the moment. But as we interviewed people after the protest over the following few months, we discovered these stories and then went on a search to find, does, does anyone have footage of that? Um, and fortunately, we were able to find that material and weave it weave it all in. So, um, And that's part yeah. of what makes it powerful. I mean, it was this eclective, uh, you know, um, collaborative perspective. It wasn't just you guys going in and just filming what you thought was relevant. Like you actually did go, and that's why it took so long to pull it together as well, is to search out all these different stories and I'll do a little shout out too. I had two of my previous guests were featured in the film as well. Um, Jeanette Wilson, who a previous guest who had her sternum crushed by a police. You can actually see the footage on, in the documentary. Um, she had her sternum crushed and it was very traumatic. And then uh, Matthew Tehuki also speaks quite a lot. And he's so wise, so calm. He also sang. And in the interview that I did, he talked a lot about love and forgiveness and I think this movie will bring up a lot of things for people that people that didn't know what really went on or and people that were there, it will bring things up in them. How do you think it's going to affect New Zealand, uh, the people that were there and the people that weren't? You know, 
I feel like it's bringing about a wave of, in, on some level, awakening and also on some level healing. Um, you know, for me, I think one of the most important things is that people can see this really iconic moment in New Zealand's history. It's preserved in film for eons in time, you know. And if you look back on it, even in five years' time, 10 years' time, 20 years' time, we have this record now of this incredible moment in our history. And what I really hope that people were reminded of, apart from anything else in the film, is that how powerful we are when we come together, when we stand up for what is right, and we work together in harmony and collaboration. We're a formidable force in a, in a beautiful, positive, powerful way. That is amazing. I love that. I want to write that down. We are a formidable force in a beautiful, something powerful way. Yeah. I'm going to listen back to that. Hey, I'm Mark. I'm going to go to the questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, what is one thing? It might be the it might be the the protest, but what is one thing that you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? Well, it's maybe just a little bit over a year, but it was that moment when so I filmed the convoy right from Cape Ranger to Wellington. I filmed all day at Wellington, and then I had to return to Auckland straight away because I had to rent out some of my equipment, my camera equipment. And then I came back home to Waiheke. I caught up with my partner, Christine, and a whole lot of people were like, well, what happened? How was it? You know, we want to see what you did. And Christine was like, you've got to put that thing together so that you've got something to show for the journey. Mm. Otherwise, if you go straight back down and film some more, you'll just end up with all this footage. And, you know, at that moment, we had no idea there was a feature film that was going to be made. Right, right? yeah. We were just filming what was happening. So I was like, okay, you're right. And so I sat down and I edited. It took me about five days. I edited about a five-minute long piece uh, to a beautiful song by the wonderful Joyda May called Hands Off Our Children. A lot of the, our listeners may know the song. Um, and it's a really powerful and, and emotionally moving song. And this piece is no words just the lyrics of the music and the music itself and the images of the of the journey of the convoy from the Cape down to Wellington. And the moment that I really feel like I upped my brave was when I put my name, mm -hmm. a film by Mark Lapwood with music by Joy to May on an end title on the film. And Christine said, are you going to put your name on it? And I was like, I have to. I just know that I have to. I have to stand up and I have to show people that it's okay to stand up because at know? that time it was it was risky yeah for sure i didn't know what was going to happen i you know and i'm someone that's not really great with conflict i didn't want conflict or anything, but i did want to show that you know there's a beauty and a magic here and i have to stand behind it so when i hit that blue button on facebook and wrote and sent share and put that video out there yeah i was you know really standing in my outside my comfort zone so I upped my brave, I put it out there, and now that piece has had over 150,000 views. Um, it's gone all around the world, and uh, I got so many positive, supportive comments, people saying, oh my God, I just cried my eyes out watching this. Um, it, it it was a really important moment, and we sat there. I, I showed, I had a 
in edit almost done. I showed Christine. We both sat here bawling our eyes out. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my up my brave moment. That's amazing. Sometimes, you know, putting your name to something, uh, coming out of the closet as it's, you know, over the last few years has been scary. And congratulations. I don't, is that something that, we, that I can link to and people can watch that? Yes, I'm sure. I, I'll just have to find the particular link for it. But absolutely. Okay, so as you guys, as our listeners may or may not know, we launched an app. We have a Reality Check Radio app. So exciting. So you can get that. And then you can now just click on replays, click on Up Your Brave. And when you go to Mark's replay page, hopefully, I will include the links to how you can find out about him and all his work, um, as well as maybe go and see this um, little five-minute bit that he put his name to. So amazing. The next question is about the bucket list. And what is something on your bucket list? This is something you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with. You know, I think, I just think of this film. Uh, I just want to see it go around the world. I would love to be able to travel to cinemas overseas at festivals and and stand in a huge audience and and um, hear and feel how they respond to the film, um, because you know this is a global movement, and um, and I think that film has a lot of power. So I just really want to experience that. So by the more, more people seeing the film and growing its audience, we will we hope to get this film into not just the top 10 in the box office for a week, but in the top 10 most played documentaries from New Zealand of all time. And if that happens, then then it cannot be ignored, right? It's in the history books forever. And so that's really important. So that's, uh, I guess, a collective goal that we would love to see come to pass. It's a huge goal. And I think it's a doable goal. And the cool thing is, is not only are we like helping you guys to get the doc your your work out to the world, we are actually empowering ourselves as a community, as a country, um, and as individuals by getting this this documentary out because it is about freedom and how easily it can be whisked away. Um, but how if we stand together, whether we're in the car or standing on the bridge, you know, we can make a massive difference. So how can we? helped make that goal happen like literally is there something specific we can do well it's it's i think it's you know just gently having those conversations with people and and sharing that hey there's this film out and it it unpacks why people went on the convoy and they went to wellington and were part of this anti-mandate protest um it shows why they were there and it's filmed with what we like to call now this wonderful phrase, the cameras on the lawn. We were the cameras on the lawn. So if you've only seen what our regular, most predominant media organizations were sharing, you haven't seen the story. And this is a really important story for our people. So, so yeah, I mean, if you can get along, see the film at a cinema near you, and maybe take a friend or two um, who might just be curious to see, oh, well, what, what's this about? Um, a lot of people who see the film come away quite blown away and surprised about um, this whole other aspect of the story that they really just did not know happened. I had that experience the other day where a friend said to me, oh, my goodness, have you seen The River of Freedom? You should go and see it. And I said, well, I was there on opening night at the Civic. 
And she said, yeah, oh my, because she was, you know, anti-mandate and unjabbed and everything. But just because it's such a broad spectrum of all the things. So just because someone might be anti-mandate doesn't mean... So anyway, she had no idea. She said, I had no idea that went on. I, like, I just thought, you know, the protesters were being, you know, a bit rough. And 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 so even for people that are, you know, into freedom, they still, you know, they were fed a fib is what I'm going to say. And so for them to be able to see that and feel that in a theater, and we all know the power of music and video um, representation is just, and storytelling, we know the power of that. I love the way you said that. And you said it's in such a lovely, gentle way about if we can just encourage people to be curious and go along and take a friend. Okay. So how do people find out where it's showing? Is there a certain page they can go to? Yeah, 100%. So if you just go to riveroffreedom.nz, we have a screenings page and uh, you can just see the heading screenings at the top of the website there. And there's a whole list of North Island cinemas and South Island cinemas there. So uh, in each of those, there's a, an icon for each cinema. You click on that and it takes you through to that cinema's website, uh, directly to the page where you can book tickets. So, yeah, it's um, it's pretty easy. We've tried to keep it as simple and straightforward as possible. And I know there's other locations that have been like the public has been requesting, but some places just haven't they either refused or they don't probably don't think it's financially feasible. Um, so I guess people, I guess I'll say it, maybe you can get in touch with your local theater in your local area in a really nice way and see if they w are able to show it because I think it's a supply and demand. The more people um, that ask, that does help. And I guess you'll, you and Heidi will keep updating that page as more theaters come on board. See the light. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's our, our Heidi and our, our distribution team. That's right. So, you know, as cinemas see the huge box office take, um, they can't help but realize and take note, right? Oh, this is a good business opportunity, regardless of what you think or perceive uh, the, the content of the film is. Um, and we've had a lot of cinemas like that. We've had cinemas who really didn't want to show the film and were spreading uh, their uh, negative uh, views having not seen the film and then they've opened the doors because so many people have contacted them and they've had sellout screenings and then they've sat down well what's this all about they've watched the film and they've actually shifted their mindset and gone holy moly I had no idea you know this was what was going on so it's it's it is um yeah, shifting hearts and minds. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Just to to go to something like this with an open heart and an open mind. Um, yeah, so we've had amazing stories like that. It's it's really exciting. And um, yeah, this is what we hope for, you know, that the film can actually create this ripple, this wave through our, our nation and around the world to show that uh, it's, it's really important to stand up for our rights. I think it's already started. I think that ripple has already started. What is coming up for you? What other projects have you got on the horizon? Or what other projects are you looking for in case somebody wants to um, get you to collaborate with them? How can we connect with you online? You can find me at my website, marklapwood.com. That's M-A-R-K-L-A-P-W-O-O-D.com. Um, there's a contact button on the website. Yeah, look, I'm really interested in working on projects that make a difference um that have meaning um i'm available to be hired for for things like that if it resonates and we get along well um 
I, I love to pour my heart and soul into something that I'm passionate about that excites me. So um, yeah, I welcome welcome opportunities from from people, other filmmakers out there, people who've got funding. Of course, we all need to pay the bills and and that sort of thing. Um, and currently, something that's really exciting is that. Um, we might be hitting the road again to film some of these wonderful stories about these cinemas that have, mm -hmm. um, you know, really discovered uh, a new lease of life in their business as a result yeah. of the film. And also from, you know, maybe some cinema owners who have had a shift in perspective as a result of the film. So that's something really exciting we're doing shortly. That is exciting. And it's like the power of film, not just for the people sitting in the seats, but the people that own the theater. And then for you guys to capture those stories. Oh, I love it. And it'll, of course, add to the ripple of the river of freedom around the world. Yeah, absolutely. So great. Hey, Mark, before we wrap things up, is there anything else you want to share with our audience today? Oh, gosh, I I just am so grateful for everyone who's been to see the film. Thank you, everyone, for all of your support. And uh, and thank you to, you know, I think the thing for me is I realized th this film, it's it's a it's been a collaborative effort from the right from the start. And it's a collaborative effort that in a way is a collaboration with everyone who joined in, who stood on the sides of the roads, who got in their cars and drove or sent food or everyone who did what they felt they could do uh, within their means at the time to, to stand up for our rights and our freedoms. So I'm just really grateful to be a part of it and um, yeah, bring it on. I love this kind of thing. You know, I guess it's just that thing, isn't it? You know, you follow what lights you up and magic happens. Yeah. So many things have opened up for me since I've done this film, since I hit that blue send button mm. uh, and said yes. And, um, you know, it's brought me to a part of my life I never, ever imagined would happen. Um, so there is a silver lining in everything, right? And we just never know where it's going, just one step at a time. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Definitely go and see it if you haven't already. The River of Freedom. Thanks. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Ooh, I just loved talking to Mark Lapwood. That was so cool. That was an interview where I literally was like, hey, can I interview you, like, you know, tomorrow? And then we'll put it out real quick on Friday. Um, Mark and I met, actually, at the Human Design retreat that I went to. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it. Uh, Christine Spicer, his partner, is like the go-to person for human design. And she brought it to New Zealand, actually. So I met Mark. He was there in a supportive role, um, but just and being part of the experience over the three days that we all spent together, which was amazing. So shout out to anyone that was there with us on the human design retreat. So I met Mark there, had, a pl had the pleasure of meeting him um, it, over a duration of days, getting to know him. And then, of course, seeing him um, on the panel, actually, when I saw him that the next time was at the screening, the launch of the River of Freedom documentary. And it was in Auckland, like hundreds of people there. And he was speaking there. And I said to him just this week, hey, do you want to come on my radio show? Uh, because it's so cool to hear just a different perspective on the River of Freedom from his perspective and how he got involved. And it was so great to hear that from him today. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
also about the movie. If you went to see it, the documentary, what were your thoughts? How did you feel? The topic this week is feel to heal. And yeah, how did you feel sitting there watching it? Or if you haven't been able to go and see it because they're not screening it near you, how do you feel about that? Hopefully we can get some um, of your friends and family along to see it as well. So we talked about how the paradigm is shifting and how maybe there'll be a ripple effect from this movie where more and more people will realize that things were misrepresented as they tend to be, in my opinion, in the media, in the traditional media. And it's so refreshing to hear the other side of the story. And that's what we love bringing you. Uh, we also talked about the concept of a gift economy, which kind of is what happened at the protest, which is just so beautiful and so heartwarming. And he also talked about how it was really about shifting hearts and minds and the movie and just so incredible. All I can say is, say is go and see it if you can. And if you do go and see it, please post something about it on social media or tell a friend. You can go and have a look at the link. Um, you can follow Mark, by the way, marklapwood.com. And you can look up riveroffreedom.nz. And they also have an Instagram page. And you can find out more about where it is screening and watch the journey as they take it international. Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing and the app is now live. You can visit the app stores direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything. From listening to our live broadcast, downloading some of our incredible interviews, and checking out the latest blogs, all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. Would you like to be a part of Reviving Honest Media? At RCR, we're on a mission to do just that. We report on critical, censored stories and hold those in positions of power to account. As Paul Brennan says, it's a good mission. Now there's an easy way to support RCR and at the same time receive some amazing benefits. Our Foundation Membership Club is here. As a member, you'll enjoy a host of exclusive benefits, including a daily bite-sized news digest, a backstage pass to RCR, and discounted merchandise. Find out all you need to know about our Foundation membership now at www.realitycheck.radio. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio. I'm your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, and I'm so thrilled to be talking to my lovely friend who is so, so far away in the UK. Today, I'm going to be talking to Melly Rose on the topic of how do we fight them without becoming them. Very intriguing. Welcome, Melly. Thanks, Natalie. It's great to be here. I'm excited to dive into that, what that means and how we can apply it. Uh, for those of you that don't know Melly, I'm going to read you a little bit of backstory here. Melly Rose is a spiritual counselor and mentor, a healer and a channel with decades of experience working both in the physical and etheric realms. She has run busy a busy clinic in Auckland for the past seven years and now lives in the UK and works primarily online. 
Melly has a degree in psychology and sociology. She's a Reiki master and teacher, a Bowen practitioner, has an ITEC diploma in anatomy, physiology, and massage, plus has attended many workshops around the world. She's also run regular workshops on many different topics, run a free meditation and support circle for several years, offered free daily light language meditations six days a week over COVID lockdowns, and has spoken on main stage at New Zealand Spirit Festival on sovereignty and empowerment. Ooh, I'm so um, honored to have you here, Melly. I know I've got a lot of friends that I've met through you and a lot of my uh, connections who have reached out to you for guidance, especially over these last three years. You've been a really source of strength, but how has it actually been for you over the last three years? Yeah, wow. It's been really interesting, hasn't it? I think, uh, you know, we've all discovered a lot about ourselves over the past few years. And uh, and I found it really fascinating. Uh, I've noticed, you know, these changes that I've gone through. So, uh, you know, when everything first kicked off, uh, right from the beginning, right from the beginning, every cell in my body was screaming, we're being lied to. Mm -hmm. And so it was really hard because in the beginning, there wasn't many people that were thinking that or feeling that way. And so it was very isolating. And, and I really just couldn't understand how people weren't questioning more right at the beginning. I mean, to me, I just was blown away by you know, everyone falling into line so quickly and having no questions. Um, so I became, you know, I was quite a warrior in the beginning. I was angry and I was running around like, guys, you know, I was trying to round people up and, uh, you know, I was angry. I was really angry. And, uh, and I was also voraciously researching and what I was seeing was not matching what I was being told right from the beginning. So, uh, you know, there was just so much that was happening right in front of me and uh, and it was driving me crazy. So, you know, I had a lot of anger in the beginning and, you know, and then gradually other people started getting angry and, so then, you know, what happened was you started to to find people because, you know, people were starting to, to say, well, hang on, what's going on here? And so, you know, in this way, all these unlikely people that you would never have met normally, mm-hmm. you suddenly started discovering a tribe of, uh, of like-minded people. Uh, so, you know, <clears throat> there's some comfort in that. And uh, and then over, you know, over time, uh, but, you know, I've realized that, uh, you know, the anger doesn't serve anyone. And in fact, the anger only lowers your vibration and the anger only takes you to where they want you to be in order to sort of keep you divided. So, uh, you know, it's been that journey through, uh the anger and the frustration and uh and the isolation and and coming out the other side into a place of uh acceptance and uh real desire to to just let people know that they don't actually have to to go to that place 
that they can actually jump straight to hope and that this is actually, you know, a lot that's going on on the planet is part of the spiritual ascension of the planet. And when we realize that, uh, you know, we're, we're able to come and view it from a, from a different place. And when we can view it from that different place, we can be much more at peace with what's going on. A few things I want to dive into, and I want to come back to spiritual ascension in terms of you explaining a little bit more for the people that don't know what that means. But for you, in terms of the last three years, a lot of anger and a lot of coming together of some people, you know, unlikely people coming together. But for you, you then up and left. So was that kind of strange in a way to have so much disarray with the way people were treating each other and the views that people had and not being able to question things. And then you geographically relocated and had to kind of start again. I don't know. I'm putting words in your mouth. What was it like from that perspective? Yeah. So basically in New Zealand, uh, you know, we obviously had the lockdowns and, uh, and, other countries had that too, but you know, we were ringing people in Australia, and they were they were in a level three lockdown or whatever, but they could still go shopping. Um, you know, it was like they could still get their nails done. I mean, uh, you know, Botox was considered an essential <laughs> health uh, thing. Like, I mean, they they really weren't living in a lockdown like we were living in a lockdown, and. Uh, <clears throat> And I think that, you know, the difference in New Zealand as well, like I had, I have a lot of friends in the UK. I've lived in the UK before for many years. And my friends over here were saying, uh, you know, completely different things. I mean, yes, they had this terrible lockdown, uh, but you didn't have that kind of same fear of, I think your neighbor's narking, mm-hmm. you know, the feel, um, peeking out the curtain at you and, uh, you know, this feeling that you were being monitored wherever you went. Uh, and, the, you know, you don't have that in the UK. And I don't think you really have that in the same way in Europe because they've had the war, right? I've talked about this with people and they've been through, you know, the Second World War and that knock on your neighbor's thing is very, very powerfully driven into them like you just do not mm-hmm. do that kind of thing and you know they don't have hotlines to call to report people and I mean it was very interesting how New Zealand really got into that yeah. <laughs> and uh and so I I started to feel really weighed down and so did uh my my partner and uh we we became disillusioned, you know, we thought, wow, like really people, you know, where are we headed if if you're just gonna go into this kind of mindset so quickly? And uh <clears throat> and so what we looked at was, you know, what would be best for the family. And uh and a job opportunity came up for my partner um to relocate over here. And because I have a lot of history here and friends, uh, we decided to come over. And it was pretty amazing because we left New Zealand in terror, you know, like (laughs) everyone was in so much fear. And, you know, we were masked up on the plane. and, And then we sort of arrive in the UK 
And the first thing I see as I get off the plane was, please remove your mask. (laughs) And there it is. Big sign, you know, and we all ripped our masks off. And I felt like I'd come out of some kind of zombie apocalypse. And everybody here was completely normal, you know, soft music, no masks, no signs, no interest whatsoever, no fear, no, you know, it was all just so normal and uh, and it was just such a shock to the system, you know. I mean, I really took time to go out, you know, without my mask because it was such a habit of mm. fear, um, not my fear, but, uh, but, you know, this kind of collective fear and judgment um, and, and, you know, places that you just wouldn't be allowed into and so on. So, yeah, it was, it was really uh, like leaving some kind of quarantine island and being allowed back into the normal world. And it was a huge breath of fresh air. How and it is you, talked about a lot more openly over here too. Yeah, like you were allowed to question things more. Yes, yeah. yeah. And and people do. I think we've come a long way. So you're in the UK. I've, I've stayed in New Zealand this whole time. We've come a long way. Um, but I'm still baffled by how much it's still not okay to even question some of the new stuff that's coming up. So let's talk a little bit about a concept that you mentioned earlier, which is you said something about spiritual ascension of the planet. Can you explain what you mean by yeah. that to the average person? Like what, what is your view if you take a big view or a spiritual perspective on what's been going on and also maybe what's to come? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think, you know, from a spiritual perspective, because what I tend to do with people when when I have a one-on-one is I dive into where they are in the moment. I dive into what is going on with them in the moment. Um, and I look at their struggles from a spiritual perspective. So, uh, you know, we have the physical realm and, and that's everything we can see, right? And then we have these other dimensions and realms that exist. Uh, but we are, many people are blocked by, uh, simply by belief system, right? And our belief system really um, creates what is real. Uh, But what is actually going on at the moment is more and more energy is pouring into the planet. And we would call this uh, photonic light energy. And the planet is about to move into another great cycle. And these cycles are roughly around 26,000 years. And so it's a huge thing. It's maybe one of the biggest things the planet has ever gone through. Uh, And because we are evolved to this point, we are able to finally accept uh, this, this light that's coming into the planet. It is forcing change and the change is very uncomfortable but it's also really exciting because what is happening is loads and loads of people are starting to have experiences that they can't explain so they're starting to wonder if there's more or they're starting to feel things that they might never have felt before and they're starting to have psychic openings 
because basically everybody has access to this right and some people just like with you know with gifts some people are born with a gift in a certain area and some people are born wide open as psychics uh but other people have to work at it right so uh it's just like having a tutor and working this new muscle that we haven't worked in our lifetime and developing it so that we can feel into some of these other dimensions that exist. And as the planet starts to ascend, and as we start to become more spiritual, we emit a different electromagnetic frequency. And that is in our auric field, which you know runs several meters out of our body. Now, the more people that start to emit this higher frequency, the more that it starts to change the planet's energy. And so with the light coming in and more and more people emitting a different frequency, there is this quite rapid ascension that's occurring on the planet. And that ascension is really, really exciting because now I'm starting to see things uh, that, you know, I really don't think I would have seen maybe 10 years ago. Um, I'm starting to see when when I am looking uh, in deep meditation or when I'm tuning in with a client, I'm starting to see uh, real major change in the way that the, the planet's um, frequency is being held. And so, you know, what does this mean for us at a base level? Uh, it means that yeah, I'm like, are you seeing good things? <laughs> yeah, it basically means that we're going to start seeing a lot of change over the next few years on the planet. And the change is going to be rapid because when we have a collective desire for something to be better, we are able to create really rapid transformation. So if everybody actually came together and they wanted the best for the planet and for everyone on the planet, and instead of uh, how can I make the most money, how can I be, you know, the biggest, uh, most famous person, uh, how can I have all this power? And yeah, how control? can I get the pay rise? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If we if we removed all of that, then we would have this collective ascension that would be almost instantaneous. Uh, but we still have people, you know, that are very much in that mode of thinking. But that's okay because we actually only need, you know, about ten percent of people in this new frequency. Right. So I was going to ask you. So is it like a critical mass situation? Yes. Yes. That sounds low. 10% sounds low, but I like the sound of that. That means we don't need every single person to be. We do not. Yeah. At yeah. that same vibration or frequency. Okay. We really don't. We really don't. I mean, 10% does sound low. Um, but so that's why when you look around, a lot of people would say, well, I'm not seeing that. I'm just seeing a bunch of people, you know, still uh, eating bad food and um, living in this toxic environment and not wanting to change anything. Yes, there is still that. But at this 10% level, and in fact, even 1% is going to do it. It's just that will take longer. But at 10%, um, and I believe we actually have more than 10%, I believe we would be closer to 20, 30% uh, 
um, of people really truly wanting uh, the you know the best for the planet, the best for people, and at that kind of level, you're emitting enough electromagnetic frequencies of a higher vibration to create real change. And what will happen is you're going to gravitate towards other people because your um, your electromagnetic fields are going to match, right? So you're going to be looking for a frequency match when you are searching on social media. You're going to be looking for a frequency match when you meet new friends. You do this. You do this without realizing it at a subconscious level anyway. Uh, but you're going to start doing that more and more consciously. And then you're going to start collaborating and making more. And this is what you're brilliant at, Natalie. Mm. It's you're you're brilliant at bringing people together in this collaborative way and wanting the best for everyone, wanting to build everyone up, wanting to promote everyone. And that actually feeds your soul. Like that actually gives you energy and joy. And the more people realize that if they do that, that actually brings them joy, and joy is one of the highest vibrations on the planet, then the faster this is going to move. It's interesting terminology. I was at a networking event today. We have to go, we go around the table and introduce ourselves. And I say, oh, Natalie Cutler-Welsh from upyourbrave.com, uh, speaker, author, whatever. And then I said, you know, I help people who are ready to shine. And I've been using those words for probably about six years and that's interesting, right? Because people who are ready to shine are people who are not stuck in, stuck in their story. They're not in victim limiting belief. They're ready to be seen and heard and get their message to the world. They actually are vibrating, you know, living life on a higher frequency. I would call them like all my people are quite high vibe. They're re- and they're here for more. You know, they're here to change the world in, in a positive way. So it's very interesting. And th- they are the people that I bring together. But I feel I hear what you're saying. So if we're if we attract more people that are on the same frequency as us, do we similarly and at the same time move away from or repel people that are not, the people that are at a much lower vibration? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a it's such a, a hard one, isn't it? Because people are starting to feel uh, isolated from family members, isolated from uh, people that they've hung out with their whole life. And we don't want that. Like we, you know, we want everyone to be there with us. Right. Uh, but there's the simple truth is you may find yourself spending less time or finding it harder to connect, uh, with certain people. Mm -hmm. That does not mean, I want to be really clear. That does not mean that if they're not spiritual and, thinking exactly the same thoughts as you, then you can't be friends with them. That's got nothing to do with it. This is about the uh, frequency of compassion, kindness, and, uh, and, you know, service to other. So I've got friends, for example, that uh, would not call themselves spiritual at all. I have a lot of friends like that. And those people are some of the kindest people I have ever met. They are some of the most supportive friends I have ever had. And they are holding the frequency of the new earth without even realizing they're just genuinely amazing people. And, you know, I'm really lucky to have them in my life and they're not going anywhere 
just because I'm getting more and more woo <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and I'm getting more and more out there, they still love me for who I am and they don't judge me. And I think we have to get out of this judgment and criticism of uh, people that maybe are still, uh, you know, for want of a better phrase, in the narrative, like they mm -hmm. might still really be concerned about, um, you, you know, these these new variants and uh, and they might have all had, you know, the vaccines and the boosters and everything else. And that is okay, right? That's okay because as long as they're emitting the frequency mm -hmm. of where we're headed, then they are still doing this from a place of love and compassion and and the feeling that they are doing the best thing for themselves and others. And uh, and so we need to uh, be able to... So it's all... about an energy almost rather than beliefs and opinions. A hundred percent it is about the energy. And I'm always saying to people, it is the energy behind. We are having two conversations Every time we talk to someone, there is what's coming out of our mouth and there is the frequency we're emitting. Mm -hmm. Now, if they are not in alignment, then people do not trust us, mm -hmm. right? So if I'm saying to you, oh, it's great to see you, Natalie, but my frequency is saying, oh, I can't stand that woman. Get me out of here. <laughs> you are going to feel my frequency. You are not going to trust me. You're going to say, I, there's something I don't trust about that woman. And it's because my words are not matching the frequency, right? Now, if somebody is saying, oh, you know, like it's um, just be kind, just do this, just do that. Um, but behind, they're in a service to self, what can I get out of this uh, frequency, you are not going to believe those words, right? And this is happening more and more and more. So if somebody is a genuinely lovely person and they are trying to do what's right, then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what the, the actions are mm -hmm. because it is coming from the frequency of service to other. It's coming from the frequency of light. Something that's come up a few times, this came up in a conversation with some good friends of mine the other day is, and I've experienced it myself over the past three years, particularly pe some people are really starting to show their quote unquote, true colors, you know, mm. meaning they might've shown us just their lovely, happy side. But when the COVID happened suddenly, wow, this is a side of them I'd never seen. Um, mm. So coming back to our topic of today, my question to you is how do we how do we fight them without becoming them? Or how do we, I guess, stay in this higher vibration, um, but still stand our ground? Yeah, I mean, this has been probably the hardest thing because the program that has come through in the narrative is, which has been really powerful, is if you don't think like us, you're against us. And it has led to ridicule and, uh, you know, denigration and defamation and, uh, and just, you know, general toxicity of uh, people's energy field. And so, you know, when someone's attacking you and, you know, and I've definitely fallen victim to this, it's really easy 
to drop your vibration to match them because especially if you are a chameleon energy and I am uh, it, which means I can blend and mold to what people you know want to see um, but you know we're we're having to get strong and sovereign so that we don't do that but you know it's very easy to drop your vibration and meet them where they are mm-hmm. right and match them with anger and resentment and frustration and in doing that we're uh we're just feeding straight back into you know what the powers that be want which is division and uh and they want us in anger they want us in fear and they want us divided Mm. okay so what you see coming through uh social media the news everywhere is um you know uh, divide us over race, divide us over gender, divide us over um, our belief system. Like anything that splits us is just brilliant. And so, you know, how do we get around that uh, without dropping our vibration? And what I would say is, you know, we have to step out of the game. Mm. Because it is a game at the end of the day, you know, we've got this new feudal system in town, which people don't realize, it, except instead of aristocrats now, we have big tech, big pharma, um, and and they're pretty much ruling the planet. And, uh, and even governments and things now are not really making any decisions that aren't ruled by these kind of big umbrella corporations. So they're kind of the new royal family, if you like. Um, and we need to step right out of that game. We, we, we're not there to, to, to engage in that frequency. So the best thing is just to not be part of that frequency. And this is why so many people have come off social media, right? So many people, as soon as they open their mouth and they speak their truth, uh, that they are hammered. Mm. They're just hammered with this vitriolic sort of hatred. And it is so uh, damaging to the, the energy field that it's easier just to come off. And uh, and so, you know, people like you, I've got to say, are really, really strong for holding your ground on social media because that is not easy. That is really, really hard. And like you say, some people are truly showing a side of themselves that uh, has never um, been shown before. Yeah. I mean, hey, I just got to jump in. I I Thank you. I appreciate your comment. And I do. I take that on, which is lovely. I also feel like because I work for myself, I can. I mean, yes, I think I'm courageous, but Mm -hmm. so many people have jobs. Where they really feel like, rightly or wrongly, probably accurately so, that if they were to actually speak their truth online, it would be held against them and and it would be too risky for their job. Whereas, I don't know, I feel like I'm in a position where I'm able to, so who am I not to? So it it is, I feel it's my duty in a positive way in terms of my my mission, but I, I think some people are scared because... They're yeah. because of their jobs. They can't actually accurately express. Meaning, I think there's so many more people like me that that question things, 
and that want to stand their ground. I think so many people message me during the last three years. Thank you so much. You're, oh my gosh, you're so courageous. You know, I'd love to comment on your post. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to post like you do, but I just don't want the backlash. You know, variations yeah. of that all the time. But having said that, uh, it's still not easy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I appreciate that you're on your own and you can do that. But uh, at the end of the day, you're still putting up with being slammed by certain people, right? And and it's hard, like you're taking that as a physical impact. Uh, you know, sometimes it feels like a physical impact to to receive, you know, the 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 level of comments that some people are prepared to write. And yet I have put things up in the past where, uh, you know, you've got these different types of response. But I have one friend who absolutely, she's a wonderful friend. She, you know, she absolutely believes that this is, um, you know, what it has been made out to be. And I have to, you know, also say that that these first waves, there was a lot of death. There was. And there was a lot of um, justifiable fear. So, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have lost people with COVID. I, I have a, a cousin whose daughter has long COVID um, very badly. So, you know, there is some real repercussions of what's been going on here. So I don't want to minimize that. But I have a friend who's a nurse and uh, she's been here through the first waves and everything. But she has never denigrated me. She mm. has never put me down or ridiculed me. She has come in with her side of the story uh, every single time in a really respectful way that has never damaged our friendship. And I love her so much for that. She epitomizes the new earth frequency for me. Mm-hmm. And she's the sort of person that is the perfect example of how we can still debate and have opposing points of view without losing friendships mm. and respect for each other. And that's so important. And many of us have you know, lost a lot of friends along the way, but to see that it's not so much, and maybe now, hopefully as the years have gone by, it is more around the energy and the love for each other rather than the opinions. What are some things that we can do to either to stay in a more state of high high five high vibration or to shift into a more of a state of high vibration. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the one thing that uh, divides us the most is fear. And so what we want to do is we want to stay away from anything that creates fear in us. So New Zealand was very good at having, you know, the podium speeches every day. Oh, and yeah. You know, that that was really impactful. I mean, I've got to say that was uh, marketing genius because that was terrifying. I know, it's like, hear ye, hear ye. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, every day there was this great hush as she stepped up to the podium. I mean, that was very clever, I have to say. Uh, so we want to step away from anything that creates fear. And this is on both sides of the fence, you know, we've got to learn how to discern what is helpful for us and what is not helpful for us. What is um, going to make us aware without 
terrifying us. Uh, so if you know if you can't cope with that information without going into terrible fear, then step out of that information for a while and get into nature. Go for walks with friends. Connect with people. Like don't stop connecting because that really did happen. People became so afraid of saying anything that might reveal what they actually thought that they they became isolated and withdrawn. Mm -hmm. And that was really damaging uh, to their energy system because we are human beings. We are designed to connect and collaborate and be together. Uh, So keep connecting and connect from, you know, the heart space um, and find people that lift your vibration. Um, Meditate or pray. I mean, you know, depending on, you know, if you are religious or Christian, then then pray, pray. If you are spiritual or, um, you know, you, you don't believe in God as such, but a source energy, then meditate or spend time in mindfulness. Like daydreaming is really good for you. Uh, just anything that settles the central nervous system. Take supplements like a complex B vitamin, um, like ashwagandha to uh, balance the endocrine and central nervous systems. Uh, you know, just really do do things that feed your soul. Join a voluntary association and realize, you know, that actually you can do some grassroots work from the ground up. Uh, you know, there's so many things that we can do, but we've forgotten. We just forget. We forget that actually there's lots we can do to raise our vibration because we are being hammered with things that lower our vibration, basically. Yeah. To our lovely listeners, we would love to hear from you. What is resonating for you from this conversation? And what do you do in your daily life or or weekly to raise your vibration? Uh, You can send us a text, 2057, or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. One more question, Melly, before I go to the questions that I ask everybody. Now, this one's a little bit super woo, but I'm going to go with it. Um, So I had a friend and her sister was really struggling with depression. um, And I was like, hey, maybe do you want to check if you have like a negative entity? Um, We don't have to go into major detail, but is that a thing? Like there's like some people will be more affected, especially my understanding, if they already have a low vibe, they are more likely to this is going to sound crazy for some people, but be attacked or whatever, have a negative entity attached to them, I guess, um, and therefore lower their vibe even more. And how can we get rid of that if that's the case? I know it's a crazy question, but I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. And, you know, if you can look at this from two levels, if we look at it from the physical perspective, uh, we um we do things that uh, that, or we have things happen to us that lower our vibration, right? So maybe somebody dies, maybe we go through a divorce, maybe we have an illness. All of these things are going to um, put us into fear or grief and sadness and lower our vibration, which is natural uh, under certain circumstances. Maybe we've been through a lot of trauma and a lot of people have, let's face it. Um, 
So from the physical perspective, yes, our vibration lowers and then we are stuck in this place until we do something at some point to lift ourselves out of it, okay? Um, From the spiritual perspective, uh, if we imagine that this is only one dimension, I mean, I know that for some people, they cannot conceive that there's anything, any life on any planet outside of Earth, but I mean, really just from common sense and even most physicists would tell you that the chance of there not being life on other planets is almost zero because there are billions of other planets. And to think that we're the most evolved out of all of them is almost laughable. So, you know, but just as there are much more evolved planets, there are less evolved planets and less evolved uh, vibrational energies or entities. And these are very attracted to us when we're at a, a, a lower vibration ourselves. And so we can do things, very practical things in the physical realm to reduce these attachments or to lift our vibration. And they are two of the same. They're really one and the same thing because as we lift our vibration, these energies find it harder and, and less pleasant to be attached to us in it anyway. So the things to lift our vibration is to to clean your body out, to you know get all that crappy food out, uh, to stop eating things that are making us sick, uh, to get sugar. Sugar for me is really one of the biggest vibrational lowerers. Um, so it is so damaging to our system. And I'm talking about processed sugar, not talking about fruit sugar, and I'm not talking about honey or agave. I'm talking about processed white sugar. Um, you know, we want to simplify our food, like eat eat food that's real, right? Not full of additives and preservatives and chemicals. So, you know, we really want to start removing that stuff from our system because as our vibration is rising into the new earth, we have to uh, be able to cleanse our physical self because um, at at a cellular level, we are actually changing structurally Mm. to match this new vibration, which means that all of those things that were toxic before are 10 times more toxic now. So on that Uh, note, I've been, I've gone three times to my friend Carol's um, healing space, which has these new um, EES and it's energy healing room with these amazing frequency screens. Anyway, I'm pretty sure based on the way my body reacted, I can't have coffee or wine anymore. Yeah. Perfect example. I had one wine and I had a headache all day, all night and all the next day, one wine. Right. So as your energy system is responding to the these healing modalities, it is telling you what you are doing here is toxic for your new vibration. Right. So it's it's healing your vibratory field. And then you are instantly receiving the signal of when you are doing something toxic. So you, that, that's so I was cool, to say I couldn't right? keep the coffee down. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I think the people will find that really fascinating because, you know, it's really hard to break habits. And I mean, I love my morning coffee. I'm not going to lie. I have a coffee in the morning and every day I think, shouldn't have this coffee, but damn it. It's, you know, it's so much a part of my daily habit. 
that it's like the family knows when they hear the coffee machine in the morning that I'm up and and life is resuming sort of thing because, <laughs> you know, I'm a riser. So, you know, you've got this instant signal being given to you. And if you're doing these cleanses and fasting is also fantastic, but, you know, as you start to cleanse your auric system and your energy field, uh, and you do this by by cleansing food and by getting resilient. So you need to make your body strong as well because your body is going through a lot of physical change in this time. And uh, and it is changing its crystalline structure. It's changing its uh, molecular structure. And it is... Um, literally rearranging to match the new frequency on the earth. So you want to be physically, you know, fit and strong, mentally strong, spiritually strong, and you want to start cleaning your body out. Mm. Uh, So as we start to just implement just small changes to begin with, like cutting the coffee, then we start to um, vibrate differently. And as we start to vibrate differently, we become less attractive to toxic people and a toxic environment, uh, such as, you know, entities and and lower vibrational energies. Uh, So, yeah, I I think that's really awesome. And, uh, you know, and we do need to, to watch our... Uh, you know, it's very hard to get away from EMFs, but, you know, if we turn our phone off at night or even flight mode, switching things off at the wall, um, powering down our laptops, you will start to notice little differences. And one thing that I did a few years ago, actually, my partner did this. He became obsessed with grounding. Mm-hmm. And what he did was every house has a grounding stick. I didn't even know this, but every house has a grounding stick. And he went and bought like just dozens of meters of this copper wire, really, really thin. And he twirled it around the grounding stick and then he fed it up through the bedroom window and then he wrapped it around our bed. And at the time I was thinking, what the heck are you doing? (laughs) But I'll tell you, I lay down in bed and for one week I couldn't move. For one week I was sleeping like I could hardly get up I was it was like I was drugged and then after about a week I just suddenly got all this energy back and I started feeling really good and what was happening was you know my whole electromagnetic field was grounding deeply during the night and recalibrating and it took about a week but it was quite incredible I mean I I was a bit blindsided by that so yeah maybe that's something that you could try if you're really worried about being affected by EMFs and some people are more than others well I love that I love the initiative the initiative there the Kiwi ingenuity definitely good I've heard of that before as well for gardening I think as well making the soil amazing and stuff yes yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Okay. Amazing. Thank you for, you've given us lots of very um, specific things that people can do to raise their vibration. Um, I'd love to know from you, Melly, what is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? Well, we moved across the planet uh, and that was a big move because we moved the children away from their friends. Uh, We 
you know, it was really, it was a massive upheaval. And we came over here and, and we put the kids in school over here and it wasn't gelling uh, and they they were not feeling, uh, well, as my younger daughter put it, I'm not feeling it. And uh, These are teenagers, so, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not feeling it, mummy. Uh, so <laughs> uh, against everyone's advice, I decided to take the kids out of school and homeschool them. And, uh, and I really, you know, I, I had a lot of people telling me that this was a bad idea. Uh, so I had to really, uh, withdraw from everyone for a bit while I went within to, Mm. to check in with myself about this decision. Uh, because obviously, you know, we are removing them from the social circles and things, uh, that, are the traditional structures and I did decide to remove them and they do an online school. And actually it has been an amazing uh, thing. They are blossoming. They are not your typical moody teenagers. They are absolutely divine and I love being around them. And, you know, it's really cemented us as, as a family unit. So uh, that was probably something I did that mm. I feel required quite a bit of bravery on my part, and and also courage to stick with like to stick with your conviction. You're like listening to yourself, regardless of others' um, well-meaning advice. Mm. What about the bucket list? What's something on your bucket list that you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with? Uh so one thing I would say that I'm wanting to do that uh, I get a lot of encouragement for, and and I've I've started as I'm writing a book, uh, and the book is going to be uh, to help people on their spiritual journey, really. And so I guess if if I was going to ask for some help, I would be interested in what spiritual questions people have what they would like to know what they would want in a book and that will be really interesting to me to see uh i mean i know i know from obviously all my coaching and my one-on-ones and my workshops and things what the healers are struggling with because I mm-hmm. work a lot with, with healers, but uh, I'm interested in, you know, the general public and, you know, if they are wanting to come into this world, what are the questions that that they have uh, that they would like answered? Great. Well, they can get in touch with you. I just wrote down as you were talking, possible book title, you're welcome to have, Getting Started with Spirituality for Those Who Are New to the Woo. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. So if that's you and you've got questions, you can get in touch with Melly. Melly, let us know what's coming up for you in the next uh, few months. And also, how can we reach out? How can people connect with you online? Yeah, so I my website is at mellyrose.com and that's A-T, not the symbol. Mm-hmm. Mellyrose.com. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Melly Rose Healer. If you just search M E L L Y. Yes, M E L L Y. And Mally Rose Healer. 
you'll find me there uh, on social media. So I'm on Instagram. Instagram. And, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, on my website, I have uh, courses coming up and workshops and just completed a workshop on exiting the matrix and uh, how we can uh, protect ourselves in the middle of all these crazy cycles and attacks that are going on. So uh, that was great. And now I have a course coming up. Uh, it's a six-week psychic development and channeling course. So if that's of interest, people can head on over and have a look. And I also work one-on-one online. Amazing. I actually did refer someone to you the other day. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was having a look at your website because it's just the, at this, at this time, more and more people are curious about spirituality. They're ready to lean in and learn more about themselves. What am I here for? What is my purpose? Um, how can I be the best version of myself? But this is more than just personal development. This is like spiritual connection. And you mentioned at the start of this interview, more and more people are starting to get some of these gifts. And it's like, how can we nurture ourselves to mm. accept these? Yeah. And I think that in these changing energies, that is going to be the biggest thing that happens is people are going to start unfolding all kinds of what I call superpowers that you know this is like x-men it's amazing mm-hmm. when i meet people and i see what their superpower is it's like wow so yeah i'm getting mind blown all the time and uh, and i'm just absolutely loving it and people that have you know not been spiritual are starting to unfold in all kinds of magical ways and i just think that's so exciting it is exciting so what i'm getting from you so should we just leaving us with a few final thoughts um, so I'm, we're feeling positive about the future. Is there anything else you want to tell or to share with us today before we wrap up? Um, yeah, what what your any message that you have for us or what you see coming in the coming months? Yeah, so what I've been seeing lately is, uh, well, actually what I saw yesterday, I just did a video on this. I mean, it was so exciting because, you know, it's very easy to sit in this chaos and, uh, you know, and I spend a lot of time teaching people how to protect themselves and step out of the game and things. But actually, you know, we need to keep our eyes on the prize and and the prize is coming. We are really, really going to start experiencing some change very soon. And I saw that uh, in a session with someone yesterday when I went in to have a look at something else. And I actually got this magical little uh, vision into what's going on. And, and, And at a very fundamental level, the systems that have been in place that have controlled the planet for a really long time are actually breaking down to the extent where, you know, it is not possible for us to go backwards at this point. And the chaos that we're in the middle of and all the craziness and the tornado that's whirling around us is literally that crumbling happening right in front of our eyes. And when we understand that, we can start to get excited. And when we start to get excited, we're going to emit a different frequency. Mm. And when we emit a different frequency, everything's just going to move faster. So mm. that's what I would hold on to. Uh, and I, I just think, you know, get really excited now because, you know, things are going to start changing. 
What a great note to finish on. I love that. Thank you so much, Melly, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. It's been awesome. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope you gained some new insights, possibly some new concepts for people in that interview. And, you know, how do we stay strong? I think the phrasing she used at the start, how do we fight them without becoming them? It's all about, you know, staying in that high vibration and how do you do that? So we talked about new earth frequency. We talked about uh, photonic light energy and cleansing your auric system. We chatted a little bit about toxicity of people's energy field and learning how to discern and how to be discerning and stay in your empowered state. Melly is amazing. She is a healer. She's been a longtime um, friend of mine. She, Even though she went away to the UK, we've stayed in touch. And I love the work that she's doing. You can follow her on Instagram and Facebook, Melly Rose Healer. She actually is a coach for a lot of healers and heals a lot of healers as well. I definitely recommend her. In fact, she is one of the people on my recommended page, upyourbrave.com slash recommended. You'll find tons of amazing people to help you up your brave. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. At this point in the show, I like to share with you usually a little bit of a flashback to a previous interview or a sneak peek about what's coming up next. But today, as I'm doing things a little bit differently, I thought it would be great to share with you one of my other fellow co-hosts, one of one of their um, flashbacks. I was listening, as I do, I do you know just spontaneously listen to RCR throughout my day. And a week or so ago, I was listening to Tobias Tahi with the Truth Speaker Show. And this section really stood out to me. He does a lot of music, a lot of incredible music you wouldn't have heard before, which is amazing. A lot of, you know, Kiwi artists and international artists, um, always with a strong message. And then he kind of puts this commentary around it. And in this little segment, it's it's just over three minutes, I'm going to play for you. He's talking about, you know, getting out of the matrix. So get a taste for Tobias Tahi. He's a powerful guy. And I really love his show. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. Um, here it is, Tobias Tahi, the truth speaker. Their matrix or their constructed reality is a matrix based off of fear. A matrix which is a state of control. A matrix which is a place where they believe everything they are told, shown, or led to believe in order to be manipulated into thinking a certain way. Through your awakening journey, you have become a glitch in their reality. A glitch in their matrix. But, and yes, there is always a but coming with me when I speak like this. You must always remember to ensure that you haven't walked away from one matrix and stumbled straight into another, or even become more attached to the matrix while convincing yourself that you aren't. And what I mean is being constantly obsessing about the problems of the world, constantly focusing on them and constantly living in a state of feeling like the negatives of your perceived reality outweigh the positives. That is more of an attachment to the matrix than I think most people realize. There's awakening to the truth and then there's awakening and allowing it to completely consume you and take away every minute of every day. That is still being attached and living within the matrix. Then there's the awakened ego. Those who have within the last three years become aware of the truths of this apparent reality and in doing so you have awakened an absolute monster. 
That monster is your ego in which you now feel superior to anyone who is yet to understand, who is yet to walk the path or is yet to learn what you have recently learned. Just because your mind can now register and understand certain things, it doesn't make you better than someone who is still stuck and trapped in the matrix narrative and unable to see the truth. Everyone has a journey on this earth. Don't get caught in the, I'm better than these asleep sheep ego trap. Being aware of the truth comes with a massive responsibility. That responsibility is to hold space when people also become aware and start their journey. Your personal responsibility is to keep evolving who you are within, to keep growing and becoming better each day. If you think being aware of the truth and talking about it all day, every day is going to change the world, it's not. Yes, it is good to know, it is good to not allow the truth of all that is to be forgotten, lost or silenced, but that balances self-accountability, self-responsibility, self-growth and exposing the truth. One without the other will be fruitless for this world. Keep holding space for those yet to see what you see. The time will come where those who have awakened are going to need to carry those who are yet to and are going to start their journey. And if all you're flexing is your ego, then your knees are going to buckle at the weight trying to shoulder the shift that is coming in humanity. Those who have awakened and are currently walking their path you have a massive responsibility coming up. You are going to need to help carry those who are going to start waking up due to X, Y potential events. I'm not going to get into that. But our responsibility is not to be egotistical and act like we are better than those who are yet to walk. Our responsibility is to hold space and be strong enough to help carry humanity through what is about to happen. Welcome back. Next up on the Up Your Brave show, as I sometimes do, I'm going to share with you a little bit of a sneak peek of what is coming next week. One of my amazing guests next week is Charmaine Marinkovich, who I met many years ago. We were probably been in business for about 10 years uh, maybe it was 10 years ago or eight. And she was a photographer down in Tauranga. And we met, I think I had a go-to girl networking event and she came along and we connected. And then we kind of lost touch over the years. And as things happen, businesses evolve and she has evolved her business and she's doing coaching now. Um, and I think she does do some photography, but she is, her business and her message is unleash your wild, which I love that. Of course, it sounds like up your brave, unleash your wild and aligning with your truth. So here's a little sneak peek of our interview coming next week. You are listening to the Up Your Brave show, and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I've got a message for if you are an awake business owner and you're keen to connect with others to map your path for impact, visibility, and vitality while immersing in nature, I have six places left on my Escape to the Forest business retreat which is happening in November. If you want details on that, you can contact me directly or look it up, upyourbrave.com. You can find it there. You can click on retreat um, or you can send me a message on Facebook as well. 
I hope you gain some insight today and some inspiration on this show, which I've titled Feel to Heal. We had three amazing guests sharing their powerful wisdom with us today. I also shared with you a little bit about my personal experience at the NZDSOS conference, which I'm hoping, you know, the ripple effect of that plus the ripple effect of the River of Freedom will shift the way things are rolling out um, and the way that people are feeling here in New Zealand. I would I say I'm an optimist? I don't know. I'm a realist. I'm a positive realist. And I do feel very positive about the future. And I'm hoping that you do too, especially after hearing from my guests today. I will catch up with you next week on my 50th birthday. Very exciting. Um, so until then, remember that you are way more powerful than you realize. And remember to up your brave. Thanks for tuning in to RCR reality check radio if you like what you're listening to or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to then get in touch with us now you can text us with your message to 2057 that's 2057 or if you'd rather email us you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio we would love to hear from you so get in touch with us now